Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Today, October 7th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Well, we had a lot planned to get into today. I probably had 14 different topics I had all laid out. And then, of course, Israel and Palestine became a very big topic. And it's probably one of the biggest developments I've seen in this discussion since I've been covering it. And I think it's important that we take time today just to talk about this and break down the contradictions, the misinformation, the, the, the misunderstanding, the history around it all. And, you know, the, the kind of choosing what to be outraged about in today's conversations, as we just talked about Syria and the bombing of that ceremony. And it seems that nobody in these conversations want to be outraged about that but yet are outraged about things that they choose. So kind of selective outrage. So I reached out today to Vanessa Bealy to join me to discuss what's going on. And she is one of the most, one of the best investigative journalists out there, but in the know in regard to this conversation in particular. So thank you for joining me, Vanessa. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you? Oh, hi, Ryan. Thanks to, th- thanks for inviting me. It's good to be on. And yeah, it's a kind of momentous, well, it's sort of a momentous in different ways. Last three days, actually, it's been difficult to keep up with it all. Yeah, it really has. Uh, it just, it's one story to the next and before it even is, I don't even want to say fleshed out before we have like any evidence at all. Half the time we're on to some other story and all you're left with is kind of the, the partisan narratives yeah. juggling back and forth, yeah. right? By design almost, it seems. And it's, it's, it's impossible, but yeah, I mean, I think people are, you know, people these days have sort of been, Pavlov trained to take a side almost immediately and to con- mm. condemn one or the other. Right. And, I, and I think, you know, it leaves very, very little room for what I would call um, constructive debate over what is going on. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that, I mean, that's it's some people I argue in that situation are doing it for uh, dishonest reasons, for whatever the many different dishonest reasons they could be. Some of them are in it for I guess it's kind of dishonest, but more team sport politics. I think that's overtaken a lot of people today where it's just about the chosen side. And like, it's the good analogy to talk about it, you know, like a football game where somebody will, you know, hold or, or their knee down goes down before they go in. And you're like, you see that, but you still go, come on, rule for my team anyway. That's kind of what we see, which is really disgusting when you realize we're talking about human lives and, and terrible mm-hmm. situations. And half the time you're talking about the group frame themselves as the good guy being the one that is actively doing the morally ambiguous thing or however you want to frame that. And so it is really hard for those being objective to, to not, it, what's difficult is you dive into these conversations and you get buried from either side with, the, you know, the partisanship while you're trying to, you know, be objective and find the truth in the middle of it all. So let, let's start with, oops, let's start with um, a couple of different surrounding topics I think are important. And I, two things that I think that before we get into kind of what is going on in, in occupied Palestine, there's two things I think are important to this story that you've talked about already. One is the, which I mentioned in the beginning, the hundred plus dead that Robert just covered yesterday in Syria uh, after the bombing of a military ceremony where there were civilians, families, children, as well as young cadets that were graduating, as well as military personnel that were there. But as Robert points out, largely this was a, almost a predominantly civilian bombing because it, if at, at best you're getting a few military personnel, but then cadets and families and children. And so it seemed like it was meant to maximize the outrage draw, you know, basically from the situation of maintaining the, the war in Syria 
from an outside, you know, basically whether it's the U.S. or somebody else driving them back into the war kind of a mindset. But I think the point in this today's conversation is how disgusting it is that this got very little attention from most of the people that are now crying foul with what's going on in occupied Palestine. So just do you have any thoughts Mm -hmm. on that in general? Here's what you put out. And go ahead. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I I mean, you know, this is uh, this for Syria was really one of the most horrific events of this war. So that makes it even more reprehensible, really, that Western media, Western diplomats, politicians, etc., have barely paid attention to it, other than, of course, to exploit it. Right. Um, for example, the the UN envoy to Syria, Gear Pedersen, um, a number of envoys to Syria have the EU envoy even um, have been putting out statements saying that the violence is increasing in Syria and therefore they must reinforce the need for UN 2254 resolution, which of course is nothing more than regime change and political interference in Syrian affairs. And this we've seen since they've been fomenting uh, the so-called federalist movement in the south, in in the district of Sueda. Um, And just to give some other context to this actual attack, Homs is the military center of Syria, historically, emotionally, spiritually. Homs has always been um, the center for the military. And before people start saying, you know, well, the military, the military in Syria is perceived as an extension of the people. It comes from the people, right? It's, so it's not separated from the people in, in Syrian mindsets and, and emotions and sentiments. And where people see a correlation between this attack and what happened in 1979 under the presidency of Hafez al-Assad, when the Muslim Brotherhood carried out the execution in Aleppo, at, at the Aleppo uh, Military Academy, they carried out a sectarian execution of all Alawite and Shia Muslim cadets, and even Sunni Muslim cadets that would not leave the sides of their Shia and Alawite comrades were also executed on the spot. And again, this was never covered by Western media because Western media was portraying it as Hafez al-Assad cracking down on peaceful protesters. So we have exactly the same scenario back in in the late 70s, early 80s as we have now in Syria. But, you know, as you mentioned, this wasn't an attack only on the military. This was an attack on civilians, on family units. There were entire families massacred. Uh, and families from all over Syria, not from one specific area, from Latakia, from the south, from the northeast, from Deir ez-Zor. There were families from, from everywhere, and, and entire families were wiped out in this attack. The defense minister left 21 minutes before the attack. Um, I'm not saying that his life is more valuable than than the lives that were lost, but imagine if he had still been there, then then this would have been, um, you know, an e- perceived as an even greater victory for the terrorist proxies that are being managed and controlled by the West and by NATO member states, including Turkey. And we know from sources on the ground that in the last two weeks, there have been NATO member state experts in Idlib helping them to develop the drone technology, because we still don't know 
how these drones that we believe came from southern Idlib, northern Hamas, so to the north of Homs, managed to evade detection. Now, it could be that they've increased um, the technology to the point where they've developed drones uh, that can block radar signals so that they can't be picked up. But we do also know that the day after, so um, yesterday, there was another drone attack on the military hospital close to the military academy and the drones were brought down. Um, so we're still, you know, as you say, when this news comes out, there has to be a period of time when we need time to investigate, right? But these days people want the news like immediately and they want the conclusions immediately and they want to know exactly what's going on immediately. That's impossible. Yeah, because it takes a long time to kind of we know who did it. Um, we know how they did it and that they used drones that launched missiles into unbelievably crowded areas that killed children, women, um, civilians and, and young army cadets. Right. Um, but, you know, we don't know all the details or all the pieces of what went on. Right. And this is where. Robert was trying to kind of, oh, that's okay. Robert was trying to piece this together yesterday and overlaps this with the U.S. shooting down a Turkish drone. And it, a lot of it's speculation, just giving you his best perception, what he kind of sees on the wall, giving you his theory about it. But overall, that, you know, it, it's it happened. The, the point for today that I think is the most important is how something like that, which is unbelievable, like more so than anything we're talking about today with a direct, deliberate assassination of a, of a predominantly civilian event, and and the West doesn't say anything about it, even though you're that there is at least suspicion of a NATO ally that could have been involved or allowance or so on, or just the mm -hmm. idea that the groups involved in general are typically backed by the US or the West. You know, it, that's obviously a large degree why there's no discussion there. But I think the 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 point is the selective outrage. Now, mm -hmm. and I have include this article as well that Robert also just recently wrote, and it goes back and this ties in today in an, in, in an interestingly interesting way to. Uh, uh, this wildly unimportant person that I can't remember his name, uh, Howard Stern. Uh, he he puts back post, you know, 2011 made a comment about murdering Palestinian children that were celebrating in the streets and saying that, well, they're going to grow up to be terrorists. So we need to nuclear bomb them right now. Like that kind of disgusting sentiment, which we're now seeing rise up yet again because of what just happened. And I think it's important to understand how these people are used in that regard. Now, before we get into the Israeli a Palestinian conversation. I also think it's important to overlap this with the other point of how we know. Well, I think we I think we can prove this, but just to be objective about it, that the argument is that Ukraine is using U.S. backed mercenaries, terrorists, extremists from the war in Syria and bringing them over into Ukraine. There's a lot of evidence to that. I got a couple articles from the cradle mm -hmm. discussing similar reports. And so there's a lot of ways I think I could fit this in. I don't think it's exact and I, maybe I'm wrong, but I do think that there's some kind of an overlap to this. And maybe we'll get into that when it gets into the possibility of how this might've been, there may be some foreknowledge to what's happening today. So you have any thoughts on that in general, before we get into the main topic? Well, I think the other thing, the other overlap, which I think is really interesting. I, I mean, I think it's almost a, you know, a, a foregone conclusion that they are going to circulate terrorists from inside Syria to Ukraine to fight alongside the Nazi extremists that they control inside Ukraine. I mean, you know, I think that sort of goes without saying. And yes, there is quite a large body of truth, oh, sorry, of evidence pointing to that now. But I think what is also uh, going to overlap with the discussion about Israel and Palestine, and we talked about it just before I came on, 
is the fact that if we look at the attack on civilians in Homs, the Homs massacre on Thursday, and we look at the fact that ITV, a British news corporation, very similar to the BBC, um, published a report claiming Syrian government was torturing prisoners in, uh, I'm sort of smiling because I know the hospital very well, in Tishreen Military Hospital that I've personally visited. I know Eva Bartlett has also visited it. I know numerous uh, soldiers and military journalists who were treated in Tishreen Hospital, um, you know, with the usual kind of anonymous sources. The investigation was done in Frankfurt. But this report was released on the day of the NATO member state proxy attack against Syrian civilians. So what does this say to me? This is an attempt to dehumanize the Syrians that were killed in that attack. So people switch off. People right. don't care because, well, they torture their own people. They gas their own people. They drop barrel bombs on their own people. So why should we care if they get slaughtered, right? It's, yeah. it's a cynical, deliberate ploy to, to basically cover up their own terrorism against Sir, the Syrian people that has been ongoing for almost 13 years now. And in my opinion, we're seeing very similar tactics um, in the Palestinian situation that we've seen develop over the last 24 hours, and we can come on to that. But, but there's a very clear correlation. And I think the good thing is people are starting to see the patterns more and more clearly with each situation. You mm -hmm. know, they're starting to see through it because they don't change the blueprint. <laughs> right. Typically, it's the same, it's the same play, one, two, play one, two, and three. But, you know, what I think is interesting or alarming is that we see this dynamic in, in the West where, you know, always projecting the altruism. We're here to fight for freedom. Mm -hmm. We're here to fight for human rights. And then what's disgusting about it is you drive in the mentality of the population, maybe just too, you know, weak minded to realize they're being played that then present the let's go murder them all because we're the good guys. And it's mm -hmm. like, it's inherently contradictory. You're justifying, you're creating the, like the idea should be that if you're the good people, you shouldn't just go do, it's, it's, it's the equivalent of sending cluster bombs to Ukraine because they claim Russia is. So you're just the same then. You can't pretend that, mm -hmm. well, we're doing it because they did. Well, you're, that's a childish argument. You know, so in this case, you've got people that are now of the mind that we should go and murder their families too, because, well, they did it to us. And this, this it, is an alarming sentiment that drives through the conversation and again maybe that's largely bots i mean i don't even know how to tell anymore what's going what's the real conversation or not i get all blends together but that is happening and it it's really disconcerting to see so many people wanting to see violence and murder at, at but telling themselves they're on the side of right and good because the narrative says they started it uh, you know mm -hmm. we're back in kindergarten except with missiles and bombs you know it's it's terrifying mm -hmm. i don't know i just wanted to it point is. that out I, yeah, um, no, I mean, I, I agree 100%. I, I wanted to point out one, one, uh, two actual things before we get into the topic here, which is interesting and overlaps with the Ukraine war, is that Eric makes a good point. Why is it that I've seen more footage of the war in Israel or the, what's going on in Israel just in the last 10 minutes than I've seen of war in Ukraine during the last year? Now, I don't have an answer to that, but I do think it speaks in my mind to how controlled the Ukraine war actually is. And that what we're seeing here is an, an actual you know, to an, to an extent, an organic action, right? I think there's always manipulative parts of it all, but I thought that was an interesting point. And then, of course, we have the, 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 I've been seeing this a lot today, and we'll get into this when it comes to the information that I see that I think is completely unverified. 
an interesting and obvious overlap of all the pro-Ukraine outlet out, accounts who are now suddenly <laughs> spreading things that you can't prove in regard to what's going on in, in occupied Palestine. So thoughts on either of that before we get into how on earth, Sorry, how could it be Russia's fault? I, I don't even understand how I, they could spin that. It, there, oops, <laughs> wrong button. There is no, uh, there's no real argument for it. I mean, it's just that, like, we'll get into that. With the, it's the same kind of people, like, the, you know, Jack Posobiec is one, one saying that. One, oh God, one of them yeah. is saying, well, they just sent money to Iran, and that's why Iran just carried this out or made this happen. I'm like, okay, anything's possible, but there's nothing <laughs> Like they just float these ideas out and their massive followings presented as absolute fact. It's crazy. It's the Twitter files. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's insane. They, they, they just make connections that are just not there. You They're know? partisanly, they benefit um, the partisan's narrative. Yeah. I mean, I just quickly, because you made me think of something then about this ITV report, because it was really, it was pathetic. Because when you actually translated the document that they claim was their proof that the Syrian government is torturing prisoners in Tishreen military hospital in Damascus, when it was actually translated by a guy on Twitter, what it actually says is the opposite, right. that the government is saying we should make sure that we treat Syria, uh, uh, terrorist bodies with the same respect as we treat uh, Syrian Arab army, etc., because of the potential for uh, interest from propaganda groups and, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, it's exactly the opposite to what they're claiming. It's, it's oh. and that's what I'm saying. You know, people make these kind of quantum leap connections right. between one action and another without actually thinking about the complexities involved right? and, and how, how difficult it would be to actually make that connection in real life. Right. Right. It's the gamification of all of it, right? The yeah. people that just want to, it's a, it's a game. And that, like we said, whether it's your side or the idea that you somehow think that you're piecing together the secret that nobody else sees. And maybe like, I'm always thought maybe that's the truth, but if we can't prove it, and that, this is the, the thing mm -hmm. that has been lost in a lot of the average people's minds that have you know found themselves in the middle of this information war is that it's just, a, it's, you have to be able to prove these things. And even evidence mm -hmm. is not proof. Those two things get conflated mm -hmm. all the time, you know? But yeah, so it, the idea that somehow Russia would be behind this, I mean, anything's possible, but there is no evidence at all that I can see other than these accounts trying to draw a parallel to Russia because in their minds, Russia is the big boogeyman, right? So, and, well, and I mean, it's a little bit like right. in the in the southern uh, Syria protest that has been, you know, stoked by the West, particularly the US and in the military base in Al Tanif and Israel, of course. Um, you know, the fact that... that all of the banners that are written in English are claiming mm. that the big enemy is Russia and Iran. Well, I right. mean, you know, if anyone can't see through that fog and, and just understand, well, no self-respecting Syrian that's gone through the last 12 years is going to say that Iran and Russia are their enemy. They right. might have criticisms of Russian and Iranian policy in Syria or their policy with Turkey, etc. They may have that criticism, but no one's going to deny the fact that Russia um, defeated ISIS from 2015 onwards and that Iran has played a, a huge role uh, in, in fighting terrorism inside Syria, as has uh, Hezbollah, as have um, Palestinian factions that remain loyal to the Syrian government, you know. So, or, or the simple fact that both of those countries have defended Syria, as you've pointed out many times, Syria wouldn't exist today without their support. And most Syrians mm. are very aware of that, whether or not they've got critiques of the involvement of those governments yeah. in their current policy. You know, so it's, and that's a very clear thing. Or the point you make about the white helmets with their 
advertisements or jackets <laughs> written in English. I mean, it's so obvious who that's directed at. People just don't yeah. want to see that, you know. <clears throat> now, there's many parts that we briefly pointed at that we'll get in here today, like the like the, the treatment of prisoners in comparison and so on. But let, let's start mm -hmm. with just the the original kind of discussion here. Israel declares a state of war after Hamas launches an unprecedented surprise attack from Gaza. Now, that's, of course, MSNBC. Nothing is unprecedented or surprise about what's going on here. Right. So let, let's start with that point. I think it's really important for the average person to understand the basic historical reality, regardless of whatever narrative you've heard spun, that this is an occupied territory, according to the United Nations. That's never been disputed. I mean, of course, the Israel and United U.S. governments will dispute that. But this is a reality, which means per the Geneva Conventions, they have a right to armed rebellion, not because they were attacked, but because they're occupied. That has never changed. In my opinion, that ends the conversation. There's yeah. obviously points we can get into about crimes being committed, people attacking each other. But at the core point, oops, excuse me, that new mic in different place. <laughs> so that, so, that, so that, does, that doesn't change. Right. So I want your thoughts yeah. on that important point. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, people putting out, um, particularly today in response to some of the tweets that I'm putting out, this kind of false equivalence that there's two sides. No, there are not two sides in the Palestinian situation. And I showed you just before I came on, this, this is a record of all the Zionist massacres from mm. 1937 until 2000. So it's missing the last 23 years. But it's 200 pages of recorded massacres of Palestinian civilians by the Zionist so-called defense forces, occupation forces in the occupied territories. You've only got to look at the map of Palestine. And actually, these days, I compare it to the map of Syria because it's occupied on so many fronts by hostile entities, including Turkey, the U.S. alliance and, and Israel. Right. And so Syria territory, Syrian territory is heading the same way. I don't think it will eventually, but it, it is the map is looking very similar to the Palestinian map over the last 75 years. And Palestinians have suffered 75 years of ethnic cleansing, torture, abuse, child abuse, child sexual abuse and trafficking, organ extraction, experimentation, um, brutality, savagery, the mowing of the lawn in Gaza, which is another form of ethnic cleansing. You know, and this has been and it's disproportionate. You can't compare you see, where people are now getting kind of confused is actually now the resistance has almost an equivalent force to Israel. If you bring in Iraq, Iran, Syria, Hezbollah. Hezbollah is not what it was in 2006. Hezbollah now is a formidable army and a very well-equipped army, technically, uh, from a weapons point of view, but also from a technological point of view. It's ready. And ideologically, it's so strong. And this is what Israel fears. This is what the West fears, because they know that right now Israel is isolated. It's vulnerable. And, you know, I, I published this morning some of the more prescient statements that Gamal Abdul Nasser, the president of Egypt, made from about 1965 onwards when he was talking about the fact that there can be no Israel because there will never be justice while there is Israel. And when American politicians are talking about a two-state solution, even Russia talks about a two-state solution. 
all they're saying, all they're really doing is condoning the continued apartheid system in occupied territories of Palestine. Especially since Israel's openly for a long time now, but especially with the with the power, the new the power of the, the religious Zionism party and the new coalition mm. openly continue to say that will never, ever, ever happen. And that's what I think is so embarrassing about this is they'll come out and say that's not even on the table. And then Biden yeah. will come up and say that's what they want to accomplish or what Israel <laughs> says they want to accomplish. It's like it's and it's not even secret anymore. At one point, it was hard to find this stuff. They're standing on their pulpit screaming this to people. And yet we get lied to from our own, you know. Leaders, you know, it's it's yeah. it's infuriating, and I think the the biggest point in that is well, actually, I want your thoughts on this in general. That Robert's been covering the 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 interesting shift. So Netanyahu, which is seemingly endless string of power, has you know has gained the ability to continue to be in power now with because of the religious Zionism party, which has essentially. Yeah tied himself to this or you know maybe he doesn't care but it seems like he's kind of been tied to this really extremist element that he's trying 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 to juggle with at least outwardly like the political sentiment i don't i don't i mean from my mind it seems like he probably agrees with most of the stuff that they're saying (laughs) i I would agree but like outwardly right like the political juggling of it all and now it's in a position where they're like i guess put it this way there used to be more tact Right. They wouldn't Mm -hmm. come out. They wouldn't scream the opposite. They would be more tactful about it. And now it's really difficult. And I think we've seen the kind of Overton window in this conversation get completely shattered because of this Mm -hmm. obvious dynamic. And now they're being forced to be I take I guess what Robert keeps talking about is being forced to take military action that they know that they can't succeed within and because of this interesting dynamic. And what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Netanyahu's stance is because he is an expansionist Zionist. Mm-hmm. Um, he adheres to the revisionist Zionist ideology, which originated with um, Yabotinsky. And Yabotinsky, of course, well, I think we've talked about this, was a, was a, collaboration, a collaborator with Simon Petler, the first president of uh, the Republic of Ukraine in, in the early 1920s. Now, Petlura was responsible for multiple pogroms against Jews. Mm-hmm. But Yabotinsky was happy on a secular basis to collaborate with him against what they both perceived as the common threat of, of communist Russia, right? And so um, I think Thierry Maysan has written about this extensively, the fact that it's not surprising. Netanyahu kind of played the moderate previously to some mm-hmm. extent. You know, he aligned himself more with the moderate Zionism in order to achieve this credibility. Now what's happening, of course, he's overhauling the judicial system. Right. So he's he's enabling corruption um, within the far right. He's establishing far right militia, extremist militia. He's increasing the military pressure on the resistance and on the people of Palestine. And he's been doing it since he was reelected. He was re-elected on the promise of destabilization in Iran, effectively, and support of the destabilization in Ukraine and the NATO project in Ukraine. Um, And he is an expansionist Zionist. You've seen language from his various ministers. I think it was Smotrich who was in Paris and showed the map of Israel, including Jordanian and Syrian territory. Right. So, I mean, this is this is kind of no surprise to me. Right. Well, I was going to say Netanyahu at the UN did showed a map, similar thing, yeah, kind of re- exactly. rewriting history in the same way. You know, and, yeah. and I would add too that the the judicial reforms, which we should point out, 
a lot of Israeli Jews are protesting. Like there's a huge yeah. pushback from that. And that's one of the reasons I think they're losing a lot of control here, but they, they're mm. essentially not essentially seemingly creating the theocratic state that they pretend that they're like, they constantly point out what they say is bad about Iran and the religious <laughs> tones and overlaps, even though you can prove as, as again, Robert writes about all the time that if the, there there's a democratic dynamic there, whether you whatever you want to call it, where people can vote these things away. And that does happen where you could argue that that's not the same thing happening in Israel right now. They're trying to change it to where that's not what happened, that they have a kind of theocratic, you know, religious mindset, the religious Zionism party being being a core part of the coalition, you know, and so it's that is hypocritical at the very least, you know, so it just seems like they're constantly trying to frame. I don't know, accuse them of that, which you are guilty kind of a concept going back to like classic propaganda tenets, you know. I don't know. I think, yeah, but I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, I mean, Israel um, as a kind of settler entity has always been racist and elitist. And even, you know, the settlers, I would, I would compare to ISIS. I mean, they are terrorists. If you look at the footage of how they treat um, the, the occupied uh, Palestinian civilians and farmers, uh, the number of houses that have been pulled down in the last few months, the settlements that are being built on, on that land, on that territory, and the displacement of Palestinians from their land has continued since 1948, right? Which is illegal, Which, according to even, even yeah. the United States perspective today. They say they're telling... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But that gets sort of, you know, really brushed under the carpet. Right. And, you know, I think what we're seeing, because... Really, as you said, this, this operation is kind of unprecedented. I mean, there was one photo that I just put up on my Telegram account, and I said, this single photo just makes my heart beat faster because it's the picture of a bulldozer just going straight through the Gaza um, fence. Right here. You know, yeah. and, and it, was, uh, it was just like, my God, I never thought I would live to see this day, really. Well, I, I mean, you know, I've been in Gaza. I've gone to protest at these fences. And I think I've explained to you before, not so much at this fence, but at the actual apartheid wall fence, they have um, uh, what do you call them, gun turrets that are set, automatic gun turrets. That, and they change the distance. So some days it can be two meters. Some days it can be five meters. So if you approach within um, the automatic setting, it kills you. But you never know what that distance is, it's right? It's disgusting. Well, I mean, and and yeah. so for me to see this was just, you know, having uh, attended protests inside Gaza to, to bring down the fence, to see this is just, it's just extraordinary. And to see yeah. that um, the resistance factions have actually effectively broken out of Gaza prison. Right. And have taken control of what they call the Gaza envelope, the, the territories around Gaza that have been settled on by Zionist settlers, taken Zionist settlers prisoner that are now being held uh, inside Gaza and appear to be very well treated from the photos mm -hmm. that are being published, um, and have captured at least 35 uh, Israeli military, including high-level commanders. This is... In history, we've never seen that. And the one thing that Israel fears, right, is the kidnap of military and civilians. Right. Because it's something even Netanyahu is going to struggle to justify not negotiating. Right. 
Well, right. and, and, and because, that's, what I, that's what I meant before about the pressure from, you know, whether or not the religious Zionism party would care about whether they would want to use that or not. And, you know, because arguably if something bad happened to him, they would, that would be the perfect excuse to go even further and harder for what they want to accomplish. So, you know, I mean, I, um, I, they've shown themselves to be pretty morally ambiguous. They are, but, but, but I do think there is a massive, um, as you said, there's a massive pushback already about judicial reform. Right. Right. Um, also, they may so, lose control of the people if they allow it to happen, kind of a thing. Yeah, I, I think mm -hmm. there's potential for that. Plus, the fact, um, I mean, there's a few really interesting reports, and I actually just wanted to, if if it's the right time to read it, there was a report in um, Hebrew media, and I absolutely agree with it. It basically says so the Hamas and the I would say also the other resistance factions has already won this round. The fact that the organization was able to surprise the best and most experienced intelligence in the world and mock the strong security system in the Middle East and that it was able to control the event for long hours will not be erased from the minds of the players in the region. And of course, players in the region also means Hezbollah and Iran and Syria and Iraq and, and the other resistance factions that are watching this very, very, very closely. And of course, are ready to intervene if strategically it's the right time. I mean, we won't know until this, this plays out, but already the damage is massive. It's been yeah. proven that the Iron Dome doesn't work. It was already proven previously um, by, by Gaza firing rockets and the Iron Dome being unable to intercept them successfully. Mm -hmm. But today has absolutely sort of blown apart the idea of Israeli invincibility on all levels, on intelligence levels, that. yeah, on military levels, on, on intelligence levels. You've now got Israeli reservists refusing to go to the front with Gaza because they are saying it's a suicide mission. Right. And I've always said um, the Zionists are brave from the air, from the tank, from the sea and from behind their artillery, but they're not brave on the ground. Right. And when they actually have to face hand-to-hand -hand combat, with ideologically driven Palestinians who genuinely believe in the righteousness of their cause, they run away. We've seen which, it in Gaza, you know. Which, quite frankly, I think we see historically in any group in this position. They're always real yeah. big speakers until it comes down to, you know, and th that's the point you need. That's important is that the that as much as they want to frame any either whoever wants to frame either side as the bad guy, the Palestinian cause is just in the regard in, from the law's perspective, right? And so and yeah. this we'll get into potential acts that may have happened, right? And again, mm -hmm. there's negative things that happened in war and I'm not condoning that. People can, mm -hmm. you know, but, but I don't, I personally can't verify that we've seen that these things that people are claiming have happened, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me war things happen. But mm -hmm. from the core point, that's important to remember. And that's why these people are going to fight with their lives because they believe they're fighting for their freedom and their lives. People on the other side of it, they're fighting for gain, for taking yeah. right i mean that's that's what i would argue and or i mean what do you what do you think go ahead well i mean i think zionists would probably say they have a cause well yes <laughs> you know, both from an expansionist enough. point of view and from a religious point of view I'm, I'm sure they would argue they have a cause um but the difference is it's disproportionate force mm -hmm. you know they have basically um flourished from US support, UK support, EU support, uh, both from a political, from an economic and a propaganda level for, for decades, right? Mm 
Mm-hmm. They, 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 it's not an equal playing field. Oh, completely. But let me ask you this you know, in, in regard to the Zionist aspect, though, right? So I, to me, I guess it makes a difference. I'm sure people will frame that statement as being completely biased. But I, what, the, what, what I would argue, though, is that most Zionists that I, are aware of the misrepresentation of a lot of things in their framed mm-hmm. history. And that's, that's easily proven. Abby Martin's done great work a long time ago mm-hmm. asking people questions, and it's very clear. And so if, if you're starting from a point of dishonesty, whether you believe your cause mm-hmm. is just how you can even argue that, my point is that it's <laughs> obviously a different, you know, one side is fighting for the survival of their families and their history and their culture. And again, you could argue there's parts of that that don't think that. But I would say on the other side is predominantly, you know, it's one side versus the other where one side I think mm-hmm. predominantly has what they perceive as a righteous, just, legally sound cause versus the mm-hmm. other. I mean, that would be my opinion, though, to be clear. But yeah. one thing I, I mean, would say, yeah. too, though, is that when you talk about the over the dynamic of Israel, as much as I think that the only part that matters when it comes to the legality is the occupation, is the Geneva Convention point. But at the same time, it's fair to have a conversation about the Israelis that just grew up, had families that have no stake in this, that don't care about the political dynamic, that have grown up and lived in this area, that, that the same thing to displace them, to replace that, that seems slightly unfair, I guess. I would still argue the law stands, that it should be return it back to the original point from the very beginning. But it's worth having a conversation about somebody who would be displaced in the same way, whether, you know, not because they're just present. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's a conversation to be had. And that's just yeah, trying to but I, I, I think while there are um, Jews within Israel that um, ostensibly support the Palestinian cause, mm-hmm. they are still living, living on a territory that was stolen from the people whose land it was originally. 100%. And when that's you're why, living in... Yeah, when you're living in protected compounds and you're living in uh, luxurious complexes, but you can see from your window the poverty and, and the devastation of the communities of the Palestinians, and you can see on a daily basis the crimes committed against the Palestinians. Um, I don't see how in your conscience you can keep living there. That's just my uh, opinion. You know, my protest would be to say there should be no state of Israel and I am not going to participate in it. Mm-hmm. I, I um, hardly agree. I just add one, one clear, you know, so just so people understand, like that's, that's my, I completely agree. And if, if it was my choice, it would be despite the hardships and problems, the, the legality would be to go back. The, the right thing to do would be to have the land be, return back to Palestine as complicated as that is with all sorts of, you know, pitfalls and whatever else. But my point is simply just to say that there's, it's worth pointing out that there are people that, you know, just like we have in the United States, people that grow up and live their entire lives who don't truly care, but have the thoughts that they've been trained to think, you know what I mean? Like the idea that they just don't Mm. know any better. And all I'm pointing out is that there's a conversation to be had about people that would also be put out because of that mm. kind of, there, maybe there's another middle ground conversation. That's not what I think. I'm just pointing but out. I, you know, I, I, no, I think it's a really important point, but I think you also have to remember that pre 1948 or before, let's say, um, British involvement post 1936, probably, mm. I'm, you know, you, you can argue over when it all started. You can go back to 1917, Sykes Pico, et cetera. Mm. Um, <clears throat> 
then um, I have read various sort of theses and, and books which state that, that the Jews of the region and the Palestinians were living, were coexisting. Mm -hmm. but, but the settlers that were brought in were not originally from the region, right? Right. <clears throat> and I believe, I mean, we're going to come on to some of the images and videos that are circulating. But you see, um, I have spent time in Gaza. Eva has spent time in the occupied territories and a lot of time in Gaza. We've had conversations not only with the armed resistance members, but also with just family members who've had their sons, daughters murdered in front of them. None of them speak in a, in a language of revenge. They speak in a language of justice. They speak in a language of incomprehension at the Zionist inhumanity. They can't understand it. They can't understand how a Zionist can pick up a gun and shoot a boy, a kid, you know, in the head and not feel any remorse for it. They can't understand it. it it's beyond their comprehension. It so for me, I think for, for Palestinians, for the majority of Palestinians, it's about regaining what is theirs. Mm -hmm. Then after that, from, from my perspective of speaking to, to many Palestinians, there would be you know, some kind of resolution but there can't be resolution when Israel holds all the cards, all the weapons, all the control, all the power. It's impossible. Right. Those roles have to be reversed. Yeah, I agree. And I was just going to say, and, and, and on top of have, holding all the cards, dishonestly engaging with the process from the very beginning, right? So it's not, that's yeah. the point about they don't truly want to see <laughs> any outcome that benefits anybody other than their control over the situation. Uh, and again, no, that's I mean, they're, they're yeah, their language has always been one of genocide, extermination, right. ethnic cleansing. And I'm talking um, about the Zionists, by control. the way, specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, going back for, for decades. And we also right. have to remember that many of the Zionist leaders, both military and political, came from Ukraine. You, you're cutting out. They were born, in, Odessa, they were born in territories. Oh, sorry. You good? You got yeah, me I now? think you said that they were they came most of the leaders came from Ukraine. Start right there. You cut up right when you started talking about that. Okay. I hope the internet's not gonna be silly. Um yeah, I mean a lot of the the IDF um leaders, the political leaders in Israel were born. They were originally born in areas of uh, western Ukraine. Interesting. So again, you know, this connection to the extremism, that kind of secular extremism, racism, elitism um, is, is incredibly strong. And that to me is what Zionism is. I don't see it having any connection to Judaism or to any kind of religious purity. I mean, we'll, we can argue about religious purity, but do you know what I mean? It, it's a, it's a, it's a, an elitist, racist ideology. And and um, and a supremacist one, just as you know, really the Nazis were. Well, so so the correlation the... between Nazism and Zionism is very strong. And even then, you can also make the connection to Wahhabism. Right. Uh, Saudi Arabia was created by the British. Muslim Brotherhood were created by the British. You know, all of these organizations that kind of have some kind of toe in the religious water are actually nothing more in my view than terrorists with suits 
Well, this is why I'm, I think it's so important to listen to, at least consider the perspective of a lot of the Orthodox Jews in Israel and elsewhere that will mm. openly speak about the fact that the Zionist entities are using Judaism to manipulate Jews, right? I mean, mm. it, it seems like exactly what we're talking about, but all I ask is people consider what they would say. And you could point out how the IDF routinely beats up Orthodox Jews in Israel because they speak out and protest, especially more today than I've seen in, in past times. But then here, to your point, overlapping, and I've shown this many times, this is from 2018, showing you that mm. human rights groups in Israel were demanding that they stop arming neo-Nazis in Ukraine, and they're literally talking about the Azov movement. And it's just yeah. so ridiculous, the, the lack of memory people have. And, you know, and today, they're, they're not Nazis, except your people scream, stop arming the Nazis in 2018. You know, it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy to me. But Well, I mean, oh, and also, they, they've, they've even hosted... You know, yeah, right. former Azov uh, militia in right. Israel under the Netanyahu regime. Or, or you overlaps um, more with Ukraine. You could point out the Kolomoisky, who is the chief financier yeah. of Zelensky's <laughs> campaign, was also part of yeah. the World Jewish Congress, was the chief funder of the Azov movement. I mean, it's just there's so many of these overlaps, you know, and it's just interesting. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. this I want to point. Let's start with this again. The idea of this, which is interesting, is I agree with you. This is a really positive moment. People will frame this as something really uh, frame it as negative because of what they claim followed. Right. But the idea is that this moment here is a positive thing. Like I don't, people that I, like, I, I love what you wrote, all the, uh, the walls will fall, which kind of stems back to your, your blog and so yeah. on. Right. <laughs> and, and the, the idea is that he, any moment in history where a wall like this was brought down is we look back at it as a positive moment and change. Right. And, and it's mm. interesting is that this now is used in two ways. So I agree with you in, in the sentiment that this is a positive change. They shouldn't be encaged in Gaza. But now there are people saying, well, gee, I wonder why they had checkpoints pointing at all the violence right from the other side of the narrative. Now, this is where I think it's important to point out that one, again, that we're talking about an occupied territory that has been, you know, people have. I'll show you some tweets in a moment about what's been done to the Palestinians on a routine basis. But the mm. idea that there are people that probably carried out some level of unjust action, let's put it that way, whatever that range could be. And then that gets framed as that's what this is all about. Now, could, would you at least, do you think it's, what's the likelihood in your mind that there are some Palestinians that went into Israel proper, occupied Palestine and did something that was illegal, unjust, or even murder or something like that? What do you think the possibility, the likelihood of that is? I mean, I think it's very difficult because this has been ongoing for what, for 24 hours. Um, and yet people want us to come to some kind of concrete conclusion in that mm -hmm. time. Now, what, what it does remind me of is when you look at the protests in France, when you look at what happened in Syria in 2011, there were agents provocateurs, there were... Um, foreign agents planted within the movements, within um, the protests, to carry out violent acts that would then be used to discredit the movement or discredit um, right. whichever government or, or movement was being targeted for, to be smeared, to be discredited, to be attacked, to be regime changed, as in the case of Syria. And when I look at, because people, you know, all day have been posting I, I don't know, I've only seen two or three videos, but they're being consistently recirculated um, by a certain number of accounts that clearly have an interest in getting these, vi these videos viral. Now, that would also immediately sort of raise my antenna as to whether this is being managed in some way. 
Um, and I would go back to the fact that the resistance um, fighters that I've spoken to, and also if I look at their actions here in Syria, you know, Hezbollah has never, to my knowledge, and I'm being very objective here, they have never carried out a single atrocity during the 13 wars, 13 year war, sorry, in Syria against Western backed terrorists. And there would be every justification for it, actually, when, when you look at what the terrorists have done in certain instances. You know, those, those families that lost their kids um, and their loved ones on Thursday in Homs. They would be justified in taking revenge for that, in my opinion, right? But the overriding um, principle and ethic for most of these resistance factions is that they will not do to others what has been done to them. Right. And so therefore... Yeah, sorry. Could you add to that really quickly? I, I tried to do a second ago mm. and I was muted. <laughs> is that... Is that uh, <laughs> I, what I think is important, though, is I, I agree to an extent. Like, I think that's mm. important to frame the idea of the, of being justified if their mindset is is fighting, uh, you know, harming or attacking the person that attacked them. But even then, my mindset personally would be that I think it's important to consider, like, that's the same kind of dynamic from before. I will put it this way. Is I would understand, it's understandable why mm. that action would be taken. Whether or not, like the idea to say that violence should be carried out against the person who carried out violence on you, that's an eye for an eye kind of mentality. And I feel like that is. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, while I might agree it's justified, 99.9% of the cases, they wouldn't do it. That's what I'm trying to say. Right, right. Even though you you might be able to to understand it, because let's face it, if a guy came into your house and, and, you know, killed your loved ones. Right. It's happened to me. Hmm. My initial reaction is is one of like rage once you go past the the grief and you right. want everything bad on this earth to happen to them. You go through a process. Right. Right. Now, the thing is, if you act at any point in that process, you could do one of a number of things. But the majority of people here, and, and I'm talking people that have, honestly witnessed unspeakable crimes against their loved ones, unspeakable crimes against them, their own selves, and yet would still hesitate to pick up a gun and, and execute the person that did those things to them. Hmm. So what I'm saying is you can argue there is justification because there is justification en masse for Palestinians to take back their territory um, and to 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 effectively wage war against a brutal, savage, occupying force. There is justification for Syria as an entity to defend itself with force against disproportionate force funded and armed and expanded um, by Western regimes, right, right. and their but, allies. Yeah, let me say this too. And I, 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 it's, it's very easy for me to sit here in an air conditioned room and argue that, <laughs> I, that we should take the, the, the honorable path and not right. I mean, I, I understand that. I mean, my point though is, you know, I'm trying to be, and maybe it's inappropriate to be very objective and argue that, you know, like my point would be, I'll tell you right now, if I was in their position, you're damn right. I would want to do something in return. That's That's, I'll just be very, we're honest about that, but I would like to believe that we could, let, let me make it as clear as possible that I think that it's about 
what you're saying is responding against the 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 state of Israel, responding against the actors that have hurt you, not necessarily storming into an area where there are civilians and murdering whoever's in front of you. I know no. that's not what you're saying. And I, what I'm saying is people may take it that way with what we're about to get into. If the conversation yeah. about whether you see what I'm saying. So I think it's mm-hmm. important that what we're saying is that you feel justified in responding in what you would argue is a legitimate way in the context of war. But even then, that they would refrain from doing even that in many cases. Is that, do I understand yeah, exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because what I'm saying is, of course, there is justification for a nation or an individual defending mm-hmm. themselves right. against agree. disproportionate force. If a guy on the street comes up against me, wants to rape me and holds a gun to my head, I'm justified in, in doing yes. what I need to, to defend myself. Right. 100%. If you extrapolate, extrapolate that out to, to a nation, defending itself against a destabilization regime change campaign uh, against the entire nation, against all the people, they are justified to defend themselves. Right. Um, Would they, in return for the atrocities committed against them, commit the same level of atrocity against the perpetrators of of the evil against them? No, because they're not evil. Mm -hmm. They have a conscience. They have a moral compass. And, and the evil that has been perpetrated against them has traumatized them to the extent that actually they would never want to. Even soldiers, I've, I've seen soldiers come back from battle completely hyped up, right? But they still have that, that kind of moral, ethical compass, mm-hmm. which would never allow them, to, for example, if, if they've killed ISIS terrorists, they're not going to go and find their wives and children and massacre right. them. Right. Contrary to many Western claims, <laughs> well, and Western and Western overt actions and declarations, like that yeah, we're going to exactly. go murder their families, as Trump would scream out. You know what I mean? Like it's very, very yeah. on the surface in reverse. So excellent yeah. point. Yeah. Mm. Well, so I th- th- so that being stated, let's let's go through some of this information and and some contradictions, some overlaps here, and jump in wherever you'd like. So here is Ambassador Gilad Erdogan, if I'm saying his name correctly, say ambassador to the United States, the United Nations, hashtag I stand with Israel right there in his, his bio. Israel's under attack, they say, right? And so what's interesting is, as always, not that you always have to go back <laughs> to every historical event, but starting from now forward, as opposed to considering any you know other parts to it, but points out of the last seven hours, Hamas, a designated terror organization, which in and of itself is ridiculous. It's, it's like designating mm-hmm. Lebanon, or excuse me, uh, Hezbollah or uh, the IRGC in Iran, you know, any of these groups as terror organizations. Well, Russia, Russia as an entity, I think, is now designated terrorist, isn't it? Or the EU was trying to. Yeah, right. Or, or how about the absurdity of the U.S. government on a total side note of declaring, or the FBI declaring MAGA a terrorist organization? Like they've lost the plot with a lot of this stuff. <laughs> But that's something for, unless you find an overlap, that's something for another conversation. But yeah, so designated terror organization has launched more than 200, 2,200 rockets from the Gaza Strip into Israel territory. Why? While terrorists infiltrated Israel from a number of different points, killing dozens of Israeli civilians, civilians, excuse me, Israel will act in any way necessary to protect its civilians. And we expect the full price from the terrorist organizations. Terror will never win. Now, of course, the very one-sided framing on all this, ignoring you know the justification for why they're acting, ignoring the fact that they, I mean, it, well, how about what, what do you what do you think about his framing of that? And then we can go on to. Well, the other I mean, side it's of the actually, what I'm saying because I've I've been reading a lot of tweets from, let's say, very irate um, Israeli officials, both military and political, 
And um, there's an expression, I don't know if you have it in American, but in UK, we say they're spitting feathers. <laughs> Never heard that. And, and that's the bottom line. You know, Israel is the terrorist state here. Right. Which state routinely bombs Syria and kills? Uh-oh. Oh, we didn't lose you. So cool. Shoot. Oh, oh, there, you're back. We lost um, you there for Syria. about... 45 seconds or 30 oh. seconds, maybe less. Oh, oh, so where did I get to? Sorry, I, I don't just know. To, just saying they routinely bomb uh, Syria. Syria. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they fund, arm, equip, hospitalize Al Qaeda and ISIS terrorists in Syria and have done since the beginning of the war. They have terrorized Palestinians for 75 years with complete immunity from international law, apparently. Um, they, you know, you know, they have bulldozed entire uh, habitations of Palestinians to build their own settlements. They've stolen land. They've sexually abused children, etc. You know, the list is endless. Mm -hmm. Israel is the terrorist state globally. They've carried out attacks on Iran, on Iraq. Right. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. and and all of this is in violation of Geneva Conventions, human rights laws, um, international laws such as it is, you know? And so who is the terrorist state here? Right. You know, what will happen if China, Russia, Iran, India, Iraq, Syria declare Israel a terrorist state? They have every right to. Right. Well, right. you know, here's, here's an interesting uh, overlap is right now you got a lot, a large portion of the right I mean, honestly, the left in other ways, you know, Russia, whatever, but saying the right saying, you know, China through Biden is is trying to occupy and overtake the United States. Who knows? Certainly possible. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot more going on than that and more coordination than anything. But what's interesting is from their perspective, OK, let's say China somehow occupies some portion or all of the United States, like and then goes on acting like this is their God given territory. And like you could see, like going all the way to the point to where. In, you know, from, from inside the country, you're fighting back to, to take back your territory. Like just trying to place their mind in a position that puts them in the place of some of these people fighting, you know, for, for occupied Palestine. And so you mm -hmm. have to understand that that is ultimately where they are. And I think what's interesting is a lot of the people that would, that are on that side arguing would even come to the point to where they would justify or rationalize even more violence than we're seeing in return. But because they're on mm -hmm. the side of this politically that they think Israel is the side they're supposed to be with. Well, just, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm hoping people can place themselves in that position and yeah, realize yeah, because yeah. that's the actual <laughs> historical truth. You cannot deny UN Geneva conventions. All of that stuff is important to show you, you know, while Israel saying that is Palestine never existed or that it was a, a barren, desert like <laughs> so it's provably false the things that they say about the history and yet we pretend that we can take their statements at face value today it's it's quite insulting yeah and i mean it's also you know people do forget the fact that the u.s is occupying vast swathes of syria and is stealing the resources israel is illegally occupying the jolan territories and i actually went to the dividing fence at Majid al-Shams. Majid al-Shams is, is a village that was actually cut in half. It was partitioned by the Israeli occupation. And they used to stand at the fence that we stood at yesterday and shout by megaphone to their family in the Israeli side from the Syrian side, right? And I was speaking to people who'd been displaced from Dolan and they said, well, you know, I mean, Israel basically has taken 
one of the richest areas of Syria for sulfur springs, for oil, for water. 30% of Israeli water comes from Jolan. Right. right? So it's well, about resources. And, yeah. and, and, you know, Israel is not only is it the sort of the military outpost of the United States cabal in the Middle East, it's also, um, you know, it's an expansionist, you, to a degree, you call, as, as Gamal Abdel Nasser said in, in his various statements, you can't have peace with Israel. Israel is not a nation you can have peaceful relations with. Right. And I think it was uh, Khomeini from Iran that made this point because he was talking a few days ago, I think, about the normalization that is going on between certain uh, Islamic states, Arab states, uh, Saudi Arabia, etc., um, UAE, with Israel, and he was saying Israel is not an entity that you can have peace with. It doesn't do peace. It only does peace, just as the U.S. doesn't do peace. Exactly what I was thinking. The U.S. only does peace when when it completely subjugates. Right. And that's not peace, obviously, right? As soon as they want something for themselves, it's no longer peace. It's like we're at war with them, right? And Israel is made from the same cloth. Yep. So, so to a large degree, you know, what, what NASA said back in the 60s is entirely true. And people need to actually assimilate this fact that Israel is not going to go anywhere except by force. The mm. U.S. is not going to go anywhere out of Syria except by force. It's not going to leave through negotiation because it's to its advantage to stay in Syria and to maintain the pressure on the Syrian people and the Syrian government. It's right. only ever going to leave when the cost of staying is, is not advantageous to them. Right. Israel is only ever going to come to the negotiating table when it's weakened to the point that it can't do anything else. And this and, is a reality that we have to face. It's not, so, you know, I put a post out today saying, I know you're going to be squeamish about some of the things that you're going to see because this is war. This, right. this isn't sort of a clean operation. This has been, these people have been suffering from occupation, brutality, savagery, racism, apartheid, segregation, torture, abuse for 75 years. Right. It's not a year. It's not even Syria, 13 years. It's nothing in comparison to what Palestine has been going through. <laughs> no other country in, in, that I can think of in history has endured this. So are you going to see some retaliation? Right. Potentially. But, and, and of course, I would condemn any actions that don't fall into that, um, uh, that sphere of justified um, war against an occupying entity. But war is dirty. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I completely agree, and I think that that's kind of why I wanted to start have that conversation beforehand. Is just that it's yeah. I, there. I guarantee there's going to be a an, an a individual or some or groups that will act in ways that we would think are unjust. But it one and, and again, that's why I was kind of not the, the word justified in my mind. At least what I'm about to say, but more so, I understand mm-hmm. why they might want to act. Because, you know, like, look, if you're in a position where you just watched your family get murdered in front of you in the streets or your house get burned down in front of you, mm-hmm. and then the government and the news calls you a terrorist, it's going to do something to your psyche, right? And you're going to act in a different way because there's no justice for you. So my point is that 
I understand why they may feel the need to retaliate. But I would just simply point out that I think it's important that we maintain that moral objectivity, you know, but again, I get it. I understand what's going on in these, in, in this dynamic where people, like you just said, for 75 years. I, and th- I think the biggest part for me is what being the one getting abused and then being called the bad guy day after day <laughs> after day, that does something to people, you know? And, and on that mm-hmm. same note, here, here is the, the dynamic on the other side of this that we're not seeing. We're all the posts of all the people that want to make this out to be one-sided. You know, this is from CNN. 198 mm. Palestinians killed, 1,610 injured. Those are civilians we're talking about. Palestinian Health Ministry in Gaza says. Right? So this is the response. So now it's justified to murder civilians because you claim civilians were murdered? Like that's, I don't, you know, I don't know how any art entity that presents themselves as an altruistic, you know, rules-based international order kind of mentality will then go on to say, well, they did it first and act like mm-hmm. that's somehow a logical argument. I, I just think that's mind-blowing to me. And it shows you in this case, well, first of all, we should be asking the, the full picture of what really went down, which we'll get into next in regard to what the Palestinians may have done inside of Israel, because there's a lot that I went hard for. I can't verify 90% of what's being said, mm-hmm. but we can see as they proudly tell us that they killed a lot of Palestinian civilians. I think that's an interesting dynamic to point out. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I do. I think I think you also have to look at what um, the resistance is trying to achieve through this operation. I, mm-hmm. I don't know yet if this is going to be a long-term operation or this is, you know, a, a, a kind of a swift attack to break out of Gaza, to take control of the territories around Gaza so they can basically expand Gaza back <laughs> into yeah. their territories. Um, and then they, they basically will reinforce those positions and it will become, to a degree, a stalemate, depending on you know how Israel reacts right now. If Israel decides to escalate it, then there, of course, there is potential um, for the allies to come into the war, and then we have a full scale war. And, and you know, when, when I listen to how people are talking here, of course, again, it comes after the Homs massacre, and you know, Israel's hand played a part in that massacre, right? Because Israel is, is heavily invested in, in the war against the Syrian people and the Syrian government. Um, and, and then having yesterday as October Day, uh, the October War Day, 50 years since, uh, since 73, um, the war against Israel. People here are definitely talking about a, a full-scale war. And you also have to remember, again, going back to NASA's words, which is this war will come when it's the right time for the resistance. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and if you look at the timing um, of this operation by uh, the resistance factions. Symbolically, it's very important. What it's already achieved, as I said, it's already sort of blown apart the, the Israeli propaganda in one day, not even mm-hmm. 24 hours. People are starting to think, oops, you know, maybe Israel isn't the supremacist entity that every, or the supreme entity that everyone I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> so, Definitely supremacist. I mean, it is supremacist. <laughs> yeah, the supreme power. Perfect. That, that it has always portrayed itself. And even when you read these statements, they're again playing victim. You know, this right. is what just drives me nuts with this. They, they are the experts 
both the Zionist entity and its kind of minion media are so good at portraying Israel as the victim, right? Right. For decades, I mean, when it it's, it, it bombed Latakia today, <laughs> it bombed Latakia and Tartus today. I didn't even know that. No, what was the just... no, I didn't even know about it. I, I, some, I just saw a post before I came on and someone said, oh, there's been explosions in Latakia and Jable. So I checked it and Israel launched. Um, oh, no, actually, sorry. I think it might have been the terrorists. I'm sorry. That's my bad. Um, oh, it would surprise me if it but was. But nevertheless, you know, it's, it's um, th- this is the thing. It's... It, t- Israel is the terrorist state. It acts in violation of every international law, and yet it plays victim. Mm-hmm. It's always talking about preemptive strikes, self-defense, and so on, because Israel is, is the victim, always. And that's what all these state statements are portraying. We are under attack. Israel under attack. Mm-hmm. You know, when effectively it's been attacking Palestinians for 75 years. I mean, I remember sitting in Gaza even after the aggression of 2012. So the ceasefire was in place. And I was in a meeting, small business or enterprise meeting, and there was a massive explosion right outside the window. And an Israeli drone had just obliterated a young guy, a hospital porter going to his work. In Gaza, lives are just taken in in a second, whether they're fishermen, farmers, kids, they fly planes through Gaza at, at, um, above the, the speed of sound to create the sonic boom. Well, the sonic boom sounds exactly like explosions. So they maintain the trauma right. even when there's not an actual aggression. And this is 24-7, you know? Yeah. Or, or, um, or the, the, the fishing aspect is something I always point out. You know, like same like with mm. the automatic weapons, that the, the, the zone changes at their whim and they don't know, and this yeah. is their livelihood and, and they don't, they violate the agreement that they're supposed to maintain on a regular basis anyway, allowing them to go out yeah. so far in order to get the fish they need. And, you know, and it's, it's every single day in every aspect that can possibly it's, it's violations of international law, violations of human rights, mm. violations of even the agreements they maintain with the U S government of the guys and what they're supposed to accomplish. It's inherently yeah. dishonest at every well, single I time. mean, you know, Gaza is a prison. Israel controls right. the amount of calories they can eat every day. They have polluted all of the water supply and they control the actual water sources outside the Gaza border fences. What is it? 98% um, they control electricity. Yeah. The sea is polluted to, to a, a terrifying level. All electrical substations and so on are destroyed every time they bomb Gaza and then they're not allowed the equipment to repair so they're keeping Gaza in a kind of dark age situation, right? Um, I mean, for me, if the Gazans break out of this prison and manage to establish um, a zone that is not surrounded by Israeli walls and fences and borders and checkpoints, fantastic. You know, if they regain control of their territory, then you know that's an amazing that's a that's a kind of that's an I, I don't think people realize how historic this is right i agree it's i think it's the first time that i can see that they were able to take back territory technically if that ends, ends up happening right because yeah. every other time it's essentially been a loss of territory right i don't quite see unless they just bomb the hell out of everything which is you know israeli 
tactics, strategy, generally. Mm -hmm. The fact that the reservists are saying they do not want to go to the front with Gaza is already an indication that on the ground they know that they're not going to win this. Hamas is saying that they have only put something like um, 20% of their armed capability of their forces into the operation so far. They've got the operation growing in Janine, of course, so in the occupied territories also it's becoming very dicey for the um, Zionist forces. So both, let's say, internally and externally in Gaza, they're, they're now under tremendous pressure. And then if they're under pressure from the public, because of the number of hostages that have been taken, including civilians, including women and children, according to the photos that have been published um, from inside Gaza, then they're going to be under massive pressure from, from the public also. So I don't really see Netanyahu isn't going to have public sympathy for, for, for escalating this war because anyone with a brain knows that if it escalates, then it's going to escalate to the annihilation of Israel because then you're going to bring in regional players and you, you know, that's it. How many right. people are there in Israel? Six million. You know, okay. Yeah. They have nukes, but look, you know, the, we've already seen the iron dome doesn't work. Right. <laughs> right. Um, they, they've targeted Ashkelon, which is one of their biggest industrial centers. I mean, you can see it from the coast of, Gaza. I mean, again, I was looking at those pictures with Eva this morning and we were like, wow, you know, that never happened. Um, and um, so the Iron Dome doesn't work. The military has been proven to be weak on the ground. They right. can't use the Air Force because they, they risk bombing their own forces or bombing their own civilians. Mm -hmm. Okay. If, if the resistance manages to infiltrate more territory. Um, and the, the whole, the, the nuclear myth is what has kind of really maintained this idea of Israel being a supreme force. Now, I start to question <laughs> how great of a risk is the, the use of nuclear. I really mm -hmm. do, because we've seen every single kind of facade be dropped, including the power of their intelligence services. How could they not think? that on the 50th anniversary of the October war, there might not be some kind of resistance um, action or operation mm -hmm. after what has been going on and after what happened the day before in Syria. Right. Well, here's a, an interesting point on that. This is mm -hmm. um, Efrat uh, Fangason. I'm probably mispronouncing her name, but she put this out and basically you know, pointing this out. You know, saying, well, Israeli, Israeli citizens in Israel towns near Gaza Strip begging for help from the police and are not there. Six hours after the nightmare started, what happens to the strongest army in the world? How come border crossings were wide open? Something's very wrong here. And th this speaks to another interesting point. And let me know how you take this. This was written on June 23rd, saying weapons that were supplied by the West to Ukraine already resurfaced near Israel's borders. So that that so that could mean that there's a building up of this about to happen, but they're talking about weapons supplied by the West to Ukraine. So how does how do you make sense of that? What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I, you know, it's kind of ironic because there was a um, there was a report I think yesterday or the day before in Defense News about the fact that the U.S. has basically stolen weapons from Iran to send to Ukraine. Um, they, inter <laughs> <That's> <laughs> they, they intercepted. A <laughs> 
like hundreds of thousands of, of ammunition and uh, light and heavy artillery and so on that was on its way to Yemen. And they're claiming that they intercepted this cargo uh, and they've, <laughs> they've diverted it to Ukraine. So, I mean, you know, look, it's very possible that weapons from Ukraine, we know they're not staying in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there's not enough soldiers to fire the amount of weapons that are going into to Ukraine. It's ridiculous. They're ending up in Sahel and Central Africa. They're ending up in Syria. Um, they're ending up in all of, of the, um, you know, the hostile environments, probably in Azerbaijan and, you know, wherever you look, right. wherever there's a military buildup, you're going to see um, whatever, wherever these weapons were manufactured will end up potentially in those areas. Um, but I would also argue that the Palestinian resistance um, doesn't really need weapons from Ukraine because the resistance access has been um, smuggling weapons to them for some time now, not only weapons, but also the technology, the ability to make their own weapons. Well, this is, this um, is actually how I took that, though. That's what's interesting. Yeah. Is that, so it's not necessarily that this is the resistance faction somehow ah, getting okay. weapons from Ukraine, but rather that there's oh, the... Yeah like a, a foreknowledge event here where the weapons are coming, you know, and ultimately that Netanyahu is pointing at it, even though there's, they're aware, like, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of a conspiratorial. It's thought. A weird. It's, it's a, well, it's a bit of a weird. Um, I mean, I didn't read the whole report, so I don't mm-hmm. know where they're saying they're ending up. Right. Uh, but on the Israeli border it could be in a number of places. Right. Um, Does it saying... actually state where they, where they were, and, and how does he know where they found? See, and see, this is. And what I mean, how does he know they came from Ukraine? That's the other weird thing. Well, that's that's kind of where my mind went with this. Now it's very limited. Now there's not there's I, I skimmed it earlier, but it's basically saying when asked to comment uh, on the sta- on the situation in Ukraine, Netanyahu said, "Quote: Israel is in a peculiar situation, different from say Poland, Germany, or France, or any of the Western countries that are assisting Ukraine." Basically, what he said. So, like giving no real information. He's saying, first of all, we have a close border with Russia. Second, we have concerns the systems that we give to Ukraine would be used against us because they could fall into the Iranian hands and be used against us. So he <laughs> essentially is trying to frame it as, and see, this is interesting now. It ties in the yeah. Iran aspect to this, that now we have these right-wing pundits out there screaming Iran's doing it all. So this feels, this feels very manufactured to me, other yeah, than uh, seeming to the losing side of it to Israel it, and what's going on, right? It, do, it doesn't seem to quite fit to me right. i don't quite understand because i don't understand the point he's making i mean the fact is that that america is is depleting israel's stocks mm-hmm. to send to ukraine um i don't know is he i don't know actually well, so he, he's suggesting that iran is somehow getting a hold of what they're using and then giving it back to the people that are fighting them on Israel's border. But what's interesting to me is it almost makes, it almost seems to start to look like something that was being set up that then got stopped. I mean, this is my personal opinion. Like I think there's a lot of this happening today where you see some kind of organized false flag that then they, they're not as, it's kind of, they're not as good as they once were. I think at trying to hide (laughs) a lot of this stuff and maybe something happened and maybe that was executed. And just an interesting thought, because you're right. Something in there doesn't connect. Yeah. I mean, it it is kind of interesting. I mean, I would also argue, well, Iran doesn't need, it probably doesn't even need us technology. I mean, that's my point. Yeah, exactly. So he's kind of, I I would argue it's the other way around. 
Right. But well, actually, that Israel would be... benefit from getting hold of Iranian weapons. And right. <laughs> my thought would be that they were trying to frame it like that. And then something, yeah. went you know, just as, just as a random thought. But let, let's yeah, get into the, the actual treatment of the individuals. So this Sarah Wilkinson mm. points out, unlike the Israeli tactic of shoot, kill, maim, and leave to bleed, the injured Israeli captured by Gaza forces get treatment in a Palestinian hospital. Or the example mm. of, you know, this is the one you shared, the two different images are, you know, our two, first mm. two are Zionist settlers captured and held in Gaza. The third is Isra Jabiz, a Palestinian woman imprisoned by Zionist entities. So here are the first two, you know, no bruises, no, you know, sad, mm. right? In their pajamas. I know yeah, you right. <laughs> with, with, with beds and, and padding yeah. and, you know, whatever else. And then here's the person that you're talking about. So give us the context on this. Mm. Well, I mean, basically, the, obviously, the two um, or three, or I think there's two settler women and, and a kid, right, I think, in the second photo. Mm. I mean, clearly, they've been put into a room. They haven't been put into a prison. They have bedding, so they're sitting comfortably. Um, Isra Jabis, I can't remember which year. She, basically, what happened with her, according to, you know, a huge number of human rights reports, um, she had a gas cylinder in her car, it exploded and it burned her very badly. The Israelis arrested her, claiming that she'd been carrying out a terrorist attack. And they kept her in prison and didn't give her any hospital care or medical treatment at all, to the point where obviously she was uh, hideously scarred. Um, and as far as I know, she's still in prison. Um, so, you know, th that is the huge difference. And I know, I mean, to come back to the fact, and that's one of the reasons I put this out, because, um, you know, these prisoners, although they are prisoners, they are obviously being well treated. And another practical element to this is that it's not in the interests of the Palestinian resistance to do harm to these prisoners because they are negotiating chips, right? right? So it's in their interest to keep them in good health and to keep them, you know, relatively comfortable until they can be exchanged for whatever um, deal is made. Uh, and that even goes for the military captives. I mean, those, those, I can't remember his name now, but there's a top level um, military officer that was taken also from, I think, from the settlements, not from yeah. one of the tanks or one of the um armored vehicles yeah that's him Nim, Nim, nimrod aloni looks like his yeah. name commander nimrod Alone. And, and of course they yeah. have him here paraded through with streets in his underwear you know which is probably <laughs> really upsetting a lot of people but as well as yeah but i mean he would have been captured when he was sleeping i'm guessing you right. know because this i think is is from the actual settlements around um uh, around Gaza. So they may not even have realized who they got until they got. <laughs> right. Oh, I, I didn't mean to suggest it was done on purpose necessarily. Who knows? No, no, no. The fact that they, the image is circulating is embarrassing yeah. for people in the military and so on, which will, yeah, you know, uh, Char Charmaine uh, Narwani points out, or Charmani, Charmaine, uh, wondering how hard the Israeli occupation forces will attack Gaza now that its military assets are scattered throughout mm -hmm. the territory. Never has Israel failed this, faced this kind of dilemma. A lot of firsts yep. today. Now, again, yeah. points you were making before, there, some, the, the dynamic has shifted. The, the, the ground yeah. is definitely different than it was before. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of it was pretense. They're trying to maintain the illusion of that kind of control. And I think mm -hmm. that we're seeing that shattered right now. In, in, well, it's in, actually, I mean, it's actually a very intelligent strategy by the resistance, if you think mm -hmm. about it. You know, they, they've, they've played every single card that is going to really weaken 
the Israeli ability to either take revenge mm -hmm. or to react to what has happened. And, right. and you know, that, 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 is, that is very clever. I mean, Netanyahu would have to be absolutely psychopathic, as Sharmin pointed out, to bomb Gaza, knowing that there are multiple Israeli hostages there. Right. And yeah, for sure, you know, the resistance aren't going to keep them in one place. <laughs> they'll, well, they'll put them in different areas of Gaza in order, I guess, in a way to provide human shields for the Gazan people. Right. right. They've, they've also lost their strategic control at this point with the yeah. fences being taken down. It's a really dangerous move to just clumsily bomb into the area when you don't know, <laughs> yeah. you know, but then, and I think that's the point. Well, it doesn't, it wouldn't quite frankly, it wouldn't well, surprise also, me. The, the, the fact that they've taken down because this morning, I mean, Eva and I were like, Erez, they've taken down Erez. I mean, we were both kind of in disbelief about it because Erez is, um, the, which is the crossing between, um, they occupy territories in Gaza. It's, it's mm -hmm. a massive complex with endless checkpoints and intelligence points and so on. It's, it's, I don't know, I think it's about two miles. Wow. It's, it's massive, right? And you have to go through continuous security checks and intelligence checks and so on. So the Egyptian crossing is a little bit more simplified. You go into a central Egyptian center where you have to have all your papers checked and then you get on a bus and you cross what you call a kind of buffer zone where the Zionist snipers are trained on the buses. So if you get off the bus, you're dead. Huh. And then you enter the kind of Gaza strip area, you're checked by Hamas and then you enter Gaza. But Erez is, is like, I mean, it's, it's super secure. So we were both kind of like, seriously, Erez? You know, and, and the fact that that is, broken down so now you've also got a situation if they want to contain um the palestinian advance they're gonna have to send ground troops because right. if they bomb they don't know how many it's too close now to their own settlements they no longer have that buffer zone around gaza that right. protected them so they're bombing their own uh people their own army if they send the army in on the ground Right, they're opening mm -hmm. themselves up to further uh, capturing of their own people and their own army. So this is actually it's kind of it's it's really put a snowball in motion here, and I'm not quite sure how the Zionist and she's going to manage this. It's pretty, it's going to be tough for yeah. them. What we've been talking about on T Lab is for a while now is the idea that these they know that they can't successfully or li likely are going to be unsuccessful with a ground incursion for multiple reasons. And so they've been yeah, really put, been refusing to do that. One, because it'll be embarrassing when they don't accomplish, which I think the last <laughs> time we saw this, they, it was a, a massive failure and it embarrassed them. And I, so that's mm -hmm. one thing Robert's been pointing out quite a bit that, that it doesn't seem like even a valid option for a ground incursion. So it may be why those choices were made strategically to put them in a position where they either have to do this knowing they won't win or at, or seek some kind of dialogue, which I don't mm. think they're even on the, I mean, that's, I don't see how that's even possible with the religious Zionism group. I don't think that's even on the table for them, but. No, it, it isn't. And, and so I guess what it points to is an escalation. Um, you know, to some degree, it's the same situation, isn't it? To a degree as Ukraine. Right. Because if NATO doesn't back down, if NATO keeps supporting Ukraine, and actually we know now that it's written into the Constitution that, that Ukraine won't or Zelensky won't negotiate peace with, with Russia. Right. Um, 
then, you know, unfortunately, the killing and the war will continue. And effectively, Ukraine is being depopulated. Now, I could get onto the subject of is Israel going to be moved to Ukraine, which ah. is seriously into conspiracy land. But nevertheless, there's, there's, there's a lot of information out there that suggests that that is a possibility because maintaining Israel where it is is becoming untenable. Mm -hmm. right? There was a Tel Aviv think tank report put out a few weeks ago that I discussed with Kivor Kalmasyan about how even Israel now is starting to understand that with Syria having effectively you know, won the bulk of the war against the Western terrorist um, hordes, it is now going to turn its attention to Israel, to Jolan, regaining the, the Jolan territory. And they're genuinely concerned about it. They know that Syria has been developing both defensive and offensive weapons, um, majority with Iran, um, but with also other allies uh, that are now aligning themselves with the kind of, um, you know, the alternative axis, for want of a better word. Hmm. Um, so... Israel's position is, is becoming increasingly vulnerable. The fact that they backed down on the Kurdish gas installation off the coast of Lebanon, they backed down because Hezbollah basically boxed them into a corner and threatened them that if you, you, know, if you don't respect Lebanese territorial waters, you will regret it. And they backed down. Right. Right. I, I, I think so, it's all... You know, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <clears throat> so, so the dynamic is changing. Mm-hmm. Massively. Yeah, I think it all speaks to, uh, on all fronts, a, a diminishing of influence and yeah. power by the West, but also Israel. And I, because they're, they're intricately connected in all this. So yeah. I, I, it's, I, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't th heard that, but it doesn't, it does <laughs> ring true to me because of things like this. This is Atlantic Council. Yeah. And they've said this many times Zelensky wants Ukraine to be a big Israel. So that's a pretty interesting overlap. So I'll keep an eye on that because it wouldn't, it, be, it would also be too much for. <laughs> To go join to go move Israel to the biggest neo-Nazi location in the world would be pretty ridiculous. But we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Well, no, not really, because if you look at the collaboration between exactly, oh, I, don't mean, I don't mean ridiculous in the sense that it's not exactly what makes sense. Oh, I, I think, it's yeah. ridiculous that it's absurd. <laughs> well, yeah, because people still get hung up on this kind of, you know, on on this religious aspect, but they mm -hmm. forget that Zionism is what it is. It's a secular ideology in reality. Mm -hmm. It's an expansionist ideology. And that fits perfectly against common enemies with neo-Nazism or with Nazism. And mm -hmm. it always has done throughout history. And as I've said, the, the Israeli connections to Ukraine are massive. Yeah. And they always have been. They perceive it as Israeli territory. Odessa was the gates of Zion. Interesting. So, yeah, so I mean, the connections to Ukraine are, are, are enormous. I remember after the Charlie Hebdo attacks in Paris, um, there was a Jewish European parliament established that was funded by a Ukrainian billionaire whose name is, it was, um, and the whole Shabbat Lubavitch movement, of course, mm -hmm. as far as I know, originated in Ukraine, one of, you know, and it's one of the most extremist movements within the kind of Zionist sphere, right? right? You have Straussians in power, Blinken, Sullivan, um, in in the U.S. So, you know, when you look at how everything lines up, the fact that Israel's position in the Middle East is becoming more and more untenable, that is kind of conspiracy land, but it's still an idea that, that I, I kind of think is 
working about because they are depopulating Ukraine. For what purpose? Yeah. I, I honestly, yeah. I wouldn't, I mean, conspiratorial in the sense that it's you, or rather, see, this is where the actual term comes into play. I wouldn't even call it conspiratorial. Yeah. It's a conspiracy theory. And in the real sense, yeah. we're theorizing yeah. about a possible actual conspiracy, not the derogatory term. And I think that's a valid yeah. point. There's a lot of valid points that overlap with that, you know, and especially mm-hmm. as we see the shifting dynamic now in Israel proper, where we can see your occupied mm-hmm. Palestine, where we can see the shifting power. Maybe it's all by design. Yeah, maybe looking back at the troops on the border, and we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. You know, it's it's interesting. Yeah, but it's it's a, it's a yeah. definitely a valid a valid consideration, and I think that the it, the importance to that the like you point out the the uh, the original location of the gates of Zion kind of concept. I mean, those are very very mm-hmm. very important points to people of uh, in the Zionist mindset. You know, like this mm-hmm. is a really important, so it makes sense. Anyway, I'd like to actually talk to you about that in like another discussion, like yeah, just. Yeah, well, I'm kind of reading up on it quite a bit and, and sort of because it it just, and actually a lot of people in Poland, I've been told, are actually, you know, circulating this or talking about this and actually considering it. So hmm. I, I don't know, there could be some viability to it. I would just yeah. need to look into it a lot more maybe some of your um, audience know more about it if they do great just send the links over for yeah. consideration <laughs> definitely well b- back to the point about the general i wanted to make sure we point out what scott ritter said here it says hamas mm-hmm. has reportedly captured brigadier general nimrod aloni aloni stepped aside as the commanding officer of the gaza division in august 2022 he currently is the commander mm-hmm. of the Dur- the depth corps a strategic mm-hmm. force whose mission is to use israeli special forces in oper in oper to operate in the depth of an enemy. It seems Hamas has turned the table on Israel and is now operating in Israel's strategic depth. This operation is extraordinarily well-planned and executed. I think that's important. Any notion that Israel will be able to contain this attack soon is misplaced. Israel did not anticipate anything of this scope and scale. It is a massive intelligence failure for Israel. And I still wonder how, how much of that is by design, just as a possibility, and an equally impressive operational success for Hamas. Now, I think that's just, I, I take his opinion very seriously. I think Scott's pretty, you know, in the know when it comes to a lot of this stuff, but consider, you know, grain of salt for anything. But that's interesting. Ex- extraordinarily well planned. I just think that's fascinating. I think also, I mean, when you say, um, you know, was it by design? I, I think, I mean, having lived in Syria, having spent a lot of time in the region, um, even, you know, um, seeing how Russia operates, it would not surprise me at all if there was not a security lapse. I would not mm-hmm. be surprised. No well, one is impervious. No one is impenetrable, you know. And mm-hmm. Israel, I think, has become very complacent because it believes its own propaganda. Totally. And because, you know, there are so many other, uh, you know, if it was involved on, on the attack on Homs, it's maybe focusing, it's been focusing on, on the south of Syria, for example, in um, expanding into the southern territories further from Jolan into Suweda. It's been focusing, obviously, on Ukraine, you know, and so on, and normalizing with Saudi Arabia, which is another strategic move to try and bring the Sunni Islamic, the, the more, as it sees, more moderate states on board, moderate meaning not uh, as pro-Palestinian or pro-Palestinian um, cause as some of the other states like Iran and even mm-hmm. Iraq and so on, you know. So I think it did take its eye off the ball and I don't think it realized to what extent the mm-hmm. resistance was prepared and preparing 
you know, apparently they um, managed to hack into many of the intelligence systems mm. um, and they actually managed to, to prevent any um, surveillance of their operations, right? So, yeah. It, yeah, you know, I, I, I actually, yes, I take on board. Yes, of course, everything could be by design. We could be completely living in the Truman Show and nothing that, is yeah. real. That's you all know, I meant is the possibility. Yeah, you know, I know. I think I agree with um, you in the larger sense. I think that makes more sense. But I just, as always, my honest nose, just yeah. being like, here's the objective possibility that, like you said, <laughs> maybe it's all designed to drive to Ukraine or or yeah. the middle ground that maybe this was something that was an executed, like a setup or something that they lost control of. All these are possible. But I, I think yeah. what you're saying makes the most sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, I always keep my mind open to it being. Absolutely. That's you why know, I love you having on the show. Or more, um, you know, I, I always try to look at even the most extreme options of what it might be. Um, but I think that's when sometimes being on the ground helps because yeah. you see how these things happen on a, on a kind of, um, you know, hand-to-hand basis. You, you see it happening real time. So you, you understand that these things can actually go really wrong sometimes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, and so it is possible that, you know, Israel is is not invincible, as has been proven. And I think what Scott said is absolutely right. You know, I, I think he said something else in another tweet, which was, you know, basically, this is the beginning of the end. And also Khamenei, actually, in, in his message to the Arab states that are thinking of normalizing with Israel, he actually said, now is not the time to do it, that the Zionist mm-hmm. empire is dying. And that's what, what absolutely infuriated Netanyahu and all the others. But it's right. true. You know, it is true. It doesn't have, it doesn't have a long uh, lifespan left right now, as I've said before. And, it, you know, here in Syria, we've seen it coming because the resistance has been getting. And another point I did want to make, I know we talked about it before I came on. Mm-hmm. Um, when I talked about the fact that there may be agent provocateurs carrying out some of the more unpleasant acts that I would condemn because they are not really part of war. They're, they're, they're a kind of, if they're genuine, they're, they're a vengeful process that I, I think in all honesty, the, the heart of the resistance would not tolerate either. Right. I but, agree with that. you know, Hamas, Hamas is a complex operation. I mean, WikiLeaks proved that it was created Um, by Israel I would argue because someone actually brought this up with me on Twitter and and I would be the first person to condemn what Hamas did in Syria and against Syrians they they basically were totally with Al-Qaeda in Yarmouk camp it was Hamas that allowed Al-Qaeda into the camp to to kill Palestinians Um, I have a lot of issues with Hamas personally because of their Muslim Brotherhood affiliations. Mm-hmm. However, uh, in speaking to people here, because the president himself has normalized relations with Hamas, despite what they did here in Syria, and speaking to contacts in Iran and, and in Lebanon and Hezbollah and here in Syria, it's believed that there are elements now in Hamas that understand that they need to be a part of the and so while there still may be factions inside or, or elements inside Hamas that, that are not totally on board, um, the Hamas members now have made 
it very clear that they understand that they should take a role now in the Palestinian resistance and in the axis of resistance. Now, does that mean, and again, I'm speculating, I don't have any evidence, I don't have anything, but I'm speculating that there could still be elements within Hamas, like, for instance, those that were fighting alongside al-Qaeda in Syria, that would carry out <clears throat> acts of this nature, either because that's just who they are, right, or because they are literally being instructed to discredit the resistance. Fair point. Now, I really need to make the, the point that this is speculation. It's an right. idea. Because when I saw one of the videos, it reminded me mm -hmm. of what I saw in Syria. I've got I've got right. some of those up we can get to in a second. Just, to, you know, I really didn't want to make too much of a focus on it today yeah. because it's completely unverified. Right. But but yeah, it's, exactly. but you're right. And I think th those are very fair points to make, again, just in the spirit of objectivity, because we don't know anybody out there claiming they know exactly what's going on is lying to you. They, I mean, mm -hmm. or you know, most likely, because I, I don't and, think anybody and, has the info right now. And I think what's really important is for people not to allow this to detract from the reality of what's going on. Exactly. And the fact that Palestinians have undergone far worse than this every day of their lives, 24-7, night and day for 75 years. Exactly. So, you know, I'm only mentioning it because I think it's going to gather traction because of the, you know, the resources and the size of the complexes that are going to take it and run with it, just as they did in Syria and Libya and in Iraq and so on. Right. right. So just for people to be aware of it and for them to... I guess, kind of think outside the box and maybe also for them to understand that the resistance isn't just Hamas. It's right. uh, the PLA, it's the PFLP, uh, the Liberation Front, it's, it's uh, the Qasem uh, Brigades. It's, you know, not all of them are Hamas. Yeah. You can't put them all into one homogenous <laughs> word and then condemn one element of, of that group when there's multiple other groups involved right. in, well, in the and, resistance. And this is a good point to make about how Israel act routinely acts with collective punishment, which is a war crime, where they will say, yeah. if Hamas does X, Y, and Z, or rather mm -hmm. if anything happens, we'll just bomb areas in Gaza, or even just generally bomb Hamas, even though you can prove it was the Palestinian mm -hmm. Islamic Jihad that acted it. You know, it doesn't, it's, it, mm -hmm. that happens on a regular basis. So you're right. And it goes yeah. both ways. It's, it's used, right? Now, mm -hmm. I, I, I would like to rattle off a few things here. I know you, you probably don't have unlimited time today, so I wanted to go through mm -hmm. a couple of these points about the, you know, in, jump in wherever you'd like, and then we'll, we'll get to those videos and we'll talk about that. Mm -hmm. So first, the, uh, this is being, this is an important sentiment that we need to recognize that the White House, of course, has put out their statement. And as they always do, or the UN or the anybody in a power structure these days, we, we call for at the de-escalation of violence on all sides, like not a meaningless <laughs> statement that means nothing. And then, of course, when something like this happens, even though it's the same situation reverse or even just the same situation, they say, of course, and this person writes, no, both citing U.S. stands unapologetically with Israel. That's, you know, the sentiment here. And U.S. comes out and says, this was a terrorist attack. Palestinians are terrorists. This is bad. You know, and, and the same thing we're seeing pretty much anywhere. Steve, yeah. quoting your tweet, you'll note there's there was no condemnation from the West in regard to Syria. Their selective morality is something to behold. A lot of people recognize this. The Syrish report points out something interesting. The Qataris are now holding Israel solely responsible. That's an interesting stance because there's, you know, mm -hmm. you have thoughts on that? Go ahead. Well, kind of. Qatar funds the Muslim. You're cutting out a little bit. You still there? 
Might have lost you. Well, wait for you to get back here. Let me know if you're still there, uh, Vanessa. Well, e- either way, I'm pointing out simply that there oh. are other groups. Oh, good. You still there? Did I lose you? You still there? Well, I'm going to go for a second, let you come back in. So the interesting point to me is that this is there are just simply other groups that are in, are willing to point out that they think Israel is the sole responsible party here. We've got the German airline. Uh, I always forget how I remember when I first flew on this airline, I had a trouble saying it. Lufthansa <laughs> cuts the flights to Israel. So very interesting. You've got Matt, a huge, one of the largest German airliners cutting flights to Israel, not Palestine, but Israel. I don't need to even have flights to Palestine, but then you have Qataris saying that Israel is solely responsible. And then of course you have Saudi Arabia in an interesting middle ground. Looks like we lost Vanessa. Unfortunately, that's too bad. We have uh, in a middle ground here, you've got Saudi Arabia calling for an immediate end to all acts of violence. So what's interesting to me is that typically you've got Saudi Arabia on one side of this, which is, of course, the Western side that, you know, the tie, getting into the ties of Saudi Arabia and the origins tying to Israel and, and the British. But the point is that you ultimately typically see them standing on the side of the Western, the Israel kind of dynamic as much as there's never really been that great relations with Saudi Arabia and Israel. It's been more of a U.S. side. And now you see them standing in the middle saying, well, sort of like the reverse of what we used to see here. Both sides need to deescalate. I just think that's very telling that, you know, how Saudi Arabia doing it as well. So I'd like to basically finish off with, I'm too bad we didn't have uh, Vanessa's point in some of this, but to point out the other side of this, you got the sprinter pointing out, you know, just generally pointing out what they're hearing, but saying an Isra- a Haratz reporter, an Israeli platform, bodies of Israeli forces scattered in the streets of uh, said roads. Now, I don't know if that's exactly the truth. We're getting a lot of embellishment across the board today, but then you get stuff like this. Jack Posobiec saying Hamas is going on a killing spree in Southern Israel amid the rocket barrage. So what's interesting is saying, if I understand that correctly, while rockets are being fired, you're going on a spree through the area. That doesn't make much sense to me. Civilians are being shot on site in the street. Again, I can't prove any of that, which I highly doubt he can either. And I'm going to go through the the post down here that talks about what they can see. There's a lot of posts that are showing people being detained that are saying they're raping people in the streets, which seems like a very big jump with any no way to prove that. And, and I'm not saying it's not like as we already just at nausea went through with Vanessa. Of course, it's possible. We went through re- possible reasons why, but we should demand evidence like this again when they're literally going. We killed over 1500 civilians in Palestine because they did it first. Seems like a very childish argument. It's not what they're necessarily saying, but that's the logic there. Now it says they're they're barging into homes, killing families on live stream. Well, I'd like to see some examples of that before I assume Jack Basobic, who has said a lot of things that aren't true, taking young children as hostage back to Gaza. Okay, well, we've shown you examples of the people sitting on their padding cushions in the detained area, and maybe there's worse positions of that or things that we haven't seen. But again, to argue, like I would love to see the examples, and this is not a, you know, you could call it whataboutism. It's just simply showing you the full picture of people like Jack pointing out when this happens daily, yearly, decade after decade to Palestinians. People being drugged from their homes, beaten in the streets, shot in the back of the head as they're walking away unarmed over and over and over. Didn't see him freak out then. Didn't see him make big standing statements about that happening. But of course, with unverified claims in regard to a a, a legally occupied territory acting legally within Geneva Conventions, of course, he has a problem with that. Typical, very typical. Vanessa points out, or cites somebody else's quote, Israeli occupation soldiers routinely invade Palestinian towns and villages. 
over 75 years plus. That's my point. Now added to that, this, the quote continues, they kidnap men, women, and children, destroy property, extrajudicially execute wanted individuals, no international condemnation. When Palestinians fighters turn the tables, everybody cries bloody murder. Again, that doesn't mean to justify acts that we would, I would personally find morally unjust. It's simply to point out the legitimate reality of the situation that people like Jack don't seem to care about. Carlos points out Palestinians are arrested, tortured, murdered every day by Israel. Their lands are occupied by soldiers and illegal settlers. Arab countries turned their backs on Palestinians. Palestinian authority is an Israeli asset, which Robert writes about, writes about regularly. Enough is enough. Palestinians have the right to defend themselves. Now, of course, many would argue this isn't defending. But how about we take a page out of Israel's, Israel's book? Can't we use the Bethlehem Doctrine and say that we have the right to preemptive self-defense? Oh, I guess that doesn't apply in this direction. It shouldn't apply in any direction because it's a ridiculous, illegal, authoritarian, expansionist mindset to say that they're about to do something, so we're going to fight first and claim that they were the ones that were going to do something, so therefore we call that defense. Only the UK, the United States, and Israel act in that way. That is ridiculous. And in fact, we saw an example of that when John Bolton used that, el that illusion to claim that we had an incredible threat from Iran, which led to the Olympic mine false flag and all the rest of the things they tried to do. It turned out, as we proved, it was just Iranian boats moving in Iranian ports. That's it. That was their credible threat. That's why they justified action. That's the Bethlehem Doctrine for you. Credible threat is whatever they want it to be. So when you say defending themselves, realize of the 75 plus years of illegal occupation, torture, murder, rape, manipulation, deep displacement multiple times, and then understand what you see happening here. You cannot look at what's happening today without understanding the history of Palestine. And again, since somebody mentioned in the chat, let's make for, for the dishonest people out there screaming there never was a Palestine. Here's the fourth prime minister of Israel telling you that there always was a Palestine. And in fact, she was a Palestinian before they took Israel. And or Palestine called it Israel. I mean, when were Palestinians born? What was all, what was all this area before the First World War? When Britain got the mandate over Palestine, what was Palestine then? Palestine was then the area between the Mediterranean and the Iraqian border. You say there is no such thing. East as a and West Bank. No, East and West Bank was Palestine. I'm a Palestinian. Now, that's interestingly contradictory, isn't it? That's the kind of thing they'd like you just to shut your eyes and ignore. What do you say about that, Jack? It's probably not going to say anything about it. Now, here's what they're pointing out in a lot of situations. Here's somebody putting out a thread. Now, you'll find a lot of videos like this, right? Where you, I don't know why this is flipped. I thought it wasn't before. But, you know, you have evidence of being detained. Now, I haven't even seen this one yet. All we know... Actually, I should look at it before so I don't show any kind of terrible thing on here. But a lot of this is happening. Now, they're saying, you know, making this a shock point to say that Israeli women and children are being detained by terrorists. Well, you could call it that. And you could equally say the same thing, that terrorists are detaining Palestinian children. And maybe that's the correct point to frame it as. But you have to realize that people are, this is a wartime situation where people are taking back what they perceive as territory that is rightfully theirs. And the United Nations and the Geneva Convention support what they're doing, or rather the object, uh, legal objective to take it back by force. Does that mean they're allowed to kill people in the streets? Well, that's up for you to decide. I disagree. I think morally that's something that they wouldn't do or shouldn't do. But bottom line is, I don't see evidence of any of that. I see people being detained. Do you not see people being detained in, in Ukraine? 
oh, I guess it's okay when they shoot Russians in the back of the head because you're on that side. We're so childish the way we frame these things today. Now, you can go through as much as you want on this. You'll find a lot of points of people saying that they are murdering anybody in sight and so on. Like, here's an example. I haven't even seen this one. Okay, I see people crouching down. That's what I see. People see crouching down and somebody claiming they're, they're killing everybody in sight. So when people like Jack want to say they're killing everybody in sight because you glean some headline on some tweet that nobody checked, that's not very accurate or journalistic, is it? There's a lot of this stuff, guys, and you're going to find examples of this everywhere you look of people saying people are being raped in the streets and showing a video of somebody being detained. And people that don't want to care about the reality because they have been fr- trained to hate anybody that goes against the narrative, then they don't, they will spread it. This one says, let's see, I haven't seen this one either. Footage from Gaza Strip reports to show Hamas with the body of an IDF soldier. Okay, so here's a good example of what we were just talking about. And I haven't seen this yet. So bear with me. Maybe be careful. We have children watching. Maybe there's going to be something we shouldn't look at. Yeah, it looks like a dead person, so I don't want to play it for those people there, but that's the point enough. So you have people, first of all, as Vanessa was pointing out, in black baklavas. So for all we know, that's not them, and that's something we should consider. Uh, But my point is that there are situations like this when you have wartime situations where people are, one, acting in what they think is justified retaliation against people that stole their homes, murdered their families, stole their land, and continue to put them under the boot. Doesn't I mean that the, no, nobody who is claiming that this is unjustified in the reverse situation would be standing there acting like they should do nothing. I again, my point would simply be from a morally sound point, you should I would I don't justify violence in return. But I get that that's something people probably wouldn't agree with in many circumstances. Like I said, if you were in the United States and there was an invading country that took all of your territory and spent 75 years telling you you were the terrorist, you might act unjustly when the time came. Again, that's not to justify any of this. It's just simply giving you the context to understand what might be happening. But we also have evidence of people being dragged out of tanks, I think was one of the examples. Or like, here's the interesting point, though. If you can show people like the general or even just the children we showed you a moment ago being detained without being harmed, and there's plenty of examples of this that you're not going to see on these accounts, it doesn't mean that there aren't likewise people being harmed, because like I just said, that's certainly possible. But it shows you that there's an element of this that do not want to just broadly hurt anybody. Now, my experience and my research, it's pretty much the exact opposite when you show the dynamic of what happens to Palestinians in Gaza and even now the West Bank. But of course, I could be wrong. It's always possible. So rockets impact Israel? Well, that happens in Palestine quite frequently, but I'm sure they don't make a big statement about that when that happens on a regular basis. Now, you get the point. Oh, here's the one. I don't want to show this entirely because it shows this person's head cut off, Okay. But this is the what this is the one that Vanessa was talking about. This very much emulates the kind of thing we saw in Syria at the people. And this, these are some of these people that might have been work, doing things there at the behest of U.S. powers and foreign powers. So we have to consider that possibility. But again, I made the point from the beginning: could this not just be one of these people that are immoral, you know, just bad people that are? taking advantage of the situation? Sure, that's always going to happen. There'll be Russians that will do that. We've seen an endless example of U.S. personnel. Let's take Iraq, for example. Raping, murdering, stealing, that is the worst thing. There's so much evidence of U.S. personnel being ordered to rape people. To take what happened in Abu Ghraib or any number of situations. My point is simply that we will always see that in some degree. So then to, to point bad things out and frame it as everything that's happening is quite dishonest. But we should also consider that. 
It's just so funny how what what I just did there is objectivity. Could they be all of this? Was well, certainly possible. What's the evidence show? Well, most of it shows something different. Well, we should consider one or the other. But of course, that really bothers the people that want to frame this as the only right side is one of them. And that works both ways for that matter. Simply me being objective about whether or not the Palestinians might also carry out violence is going to bother a lot of staunch only Palestinians right side, which frankly, I'm pretty close to just because of the legal sounding, legally sound origin of this, the illegal occupation and the fact that they have a right to armed rebellion. I've never had somebody give me a valid argument to that. How do you make sense of the fact that you're claiming they're terrorists if they're the ones illegally occupied and they've always maintained through Geneva Conventions the right to armed rebellion to take it back? Yeah, right. No answer to that, right? Because any answer to that would be engaging with the reality, which then makes them the illegal occupier. And from there forward, everything they do is illegal. But you see, that's not something they want to engage with. They go into Palestine never existed, except we know that's a lie. Now, feel free to scroll through this. We also have examples of... This is this guy is the chief White House correspondent at Today News Africa, who goes on to share an old video. This is a video from 2011, I believe. Israel's launched Operation Iron Swords and destroyed the third Gaza Tower following a surprise attack. Oh, excuse, oh, excuse me. I just, I just saw this before. I checked the link down here. You can see it for yourself. 2021. Interesting, right? So even this White House correspondent is sharing old news and telling you it happened just now because nobody checks anything anymore. Not even White House correspondents. Fantastic. Oh, and this was, I think I'm going to ultimately, oh, here, we got Vanessa back. <laughs> Sorry oh, about that. There, I don't know what happened. And... The whole thing crashed. Yeah, now <laughs> I was checking back and forth, hoping we got you there, but welcome back. Uh, well, here, I was kind of trying to wrap up here, but let me let me do go yeah. to the, the last couple points that I wanted your opinion on. Mm-hmm. And this was, oh, first of all, we just want to show you that part of it, that we were going, we, we lost you right about the Qatari point, mm-hmm. but it was that mm-hmm. we also have the German airliner cutting off flights to Israel, a huge airline. And then you also have Saudi Arabia weirdly taking a middle ground saying we, the kind of the other side of it, we call both sides to, you know, and usually they're more of a U.S. line. I found that kind mm-hmm. of interesting shift in how things are perceived. And then I was really kind of calling out this kind of thing where you've got people like Jack Posobiec here saying that. Civilians are being shot in the streets. They're barging into homes, live streaming the murder. There's other posts of them saying they're raping people here and there. Like, it's all over the place. And I went through a lot of these videos and I, I used your point to sh- point out that that's been something they've been dealing with in Palestine for 75 years. I think this was the video you were talking about, right? Where it shows the, he- the, the head cut off. Mm, maybe. No, I think the one, well, I, I saw a few, but I think the last one I saw was um, a woman being kind of pinned down in the back of a truck. Okay. Well, just give me your your thoughts on it in general, because my point was, oh, that's sorry. I guess you couldn't see it, right? Yeah, this one. I, I that think was the one. one. Okay. I yeah. don't really want to play it because it, it shows that basically yeah. the head cut off. But my 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 thought in this that I want you to do your comments on is, you know, well, basically everything we already talked about. The reality of the fact that this could very well be, and that's probably what you want your one thought on, whether this is could be, you know, people acting out not in the interest of Palestinians. Or just the fact that it could just be Palestinians that are so upset about what's happened throughout 75 years of torture and oppression that they might act out in violence. Either way, it does not frame all of this as what they want you to think is happening here. And again, I don't see a shred of evidence, and I've looked, and I'm not saying it's not there, but of these videos of people kicking in doors and murdering people in the streets, I mean, I just don't, I mean, it's certainly possible, but I think we should be cautious is all I'm saying. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's way too soon. I mean, it's, you know, it's a rush to judgment as exactly. always to, to defend their side in a, in a completely one-sided um, conflict 
anyway. And right. I think, you know, I can only compare it to what happened in Aleppo during the final days of liberation of the districts from uh, terrorist groups when uh, various UN agencies and Western media outlets were putting out lies all over huge headlines and images, presumably of women that had been raped, saying that the Syrian Arab army soldiers were kicking doors down and summarily executing people and raping women from, from East Aleppo. And I was standing in the streets of East Aleppo and you know, none of this was going on. Uh, and in fact, in the end, they all retracted the story because there was basically no evidence for it. So I think, you know, I guess my view is, <laughs> let's wait and see. It doesn't sit with me mm -hmm. with the ethics of the resistance. Might there be, you know, anomalies? Might there be individuals that would commit atrocities? Maybe, but I'm not even going to kind of give that any credence until there's hard evidence and also until we get an official statement um, from the resistance factions. And I think if this gains enough traction, there will be something to that effect. Mm -hmm. um, well, so, you know, I, I, I'm not really prepared to sort of uh, draw any conclusions right now. But what I would say is who has consistently lied to you it's Western media, Western governments, and Western-aligned think tanks, agencies, and that includes the UN. So look at who has consistently lied, who has not lied. Show me one lie from the Palestinians regarding the atrocities committed against them right. for the last 75 years. So right. I think on balance, um, you know, the, the burden of, providing truth for what they're saying lies with those liars in uh, Western organizations, governments, media outlets, the whole, you know, neo-colonialist complex. They have the burden yeah. to provide evidence of, of, the, of that this is really happening. Yeah. Well, and let's not forget, we've seen the same lie perpetuated or, you know, in the, the going back to Libya. You know, they're raping, yeah. giving them Viagra to rape people. And then we got that repurposed in Ukraine twice, actually, mm -hmm. even though it first got debunked and they just floated again for two months later. You know, so this keeps this keeps happening. So you're right. I think it's obviously. And um, also, sorry, just quickly, one thought. Don't forget Israeli intelligence dress up as Palestinians to infiltrate and to carry out crimes, uh, to, to supposedly carry out crimes against their own people to enable them to fire, for example, on the Palestinian protests. Right. So, you know, there's a multitude of, of elements that should be kind of Considered. included in any yeah. um, investigation into this. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, the jet, the commander we're talking about was part of that force that yeah, was operating exactly. on the other side. Right. So just exactly. th there's plenty of possibility there that and that's that's a tactic we've seen over and over and over in yeah. Syria, in in, Alma, in Maidan Square, in, in Ukraine, you know, where they carry out an act with other people and they pretend that's, mm -hmm. you know, false flag tactics is what they do. Yeah. Um, well, let, let's go into the uh, la oh, also just making fun of this. <laughs> He's a chief White House <laughs> correspondent at the News Today Africa, and he oh, shares a video God. from 2021 going, hey, they just attacked this yeah, building. Like, you guys that. check anything that you do, like any in the corporate no. media? It's no. ridiculous. Um, oh, um, so this is the point that I really wanted your take on. So Kim.com gets into the interesting, the overlap of Iran. And that was the other point from Jack Basobic here was that he was saying wherever that was. Oh, it's all Iran. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Well, I thought that was interesting. I guess I might have closed it. Wait, where was that? Well, anyway, the, he was saying that Iran essentially paid them to, uh, oh, or that, well, oh, that's what it was, that, that Biden has just given them all that money, and that was essentially a payment to carry this out. I Wait a minute. But but case, Saudi Arabia just paid Americans and Al-Qaeda to destroy Syria. Like, you know, this is projection. Right. This is what this is. This is pure projection. Because the, the U.S., the U.K. cartel, and that includes Israel, operates on a basis right. where they, they mercenaries and proxies to carry out their dirty work, either on a large scale or small scale. They assume that everyone else is going to be doing the same thing that everyone else is going to be following their strategy. What they don't understand is that there is an, ide there is an ideology behind this. Just as Iran will help Yemen against the imperialist forces, right. it, is, it has long-term never hidden the fact that it opposes Israeli occupation of Palestine and it supports the Palestinian resistance. It supports a just cause. Right. The U.S. has never supported a just cause, never in its entire history. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, that shouldn't be a shocking statement to people. Like the reality of the history you know, it's, is un, un, it's not defensible. <laughs> We're at a point now yeah. where the joke that I make all the time shouldn't be lost on anybody. And as much as a joke, it's still the idea that it's like, OK, let's just pretend for a second that they're actually trying to spread freedom and fight for rights. At, at the very least, we should have been like, okay, they're batting zero. They've failed every time they've tried to do it. So maybe we just go give it a rest for a minute. At the very least, if they're trying. My point is, obviously, they're not trying to spread freedom no. and just tripping over their shoelaces every time. <laughs> they're clearly doing the exact opposite of what they say they want to accomplish. So, yeah, I no, think that's they're, they're trying to depopulate the, the resource and commodity countries so that they can basically help themselves to those commodities. That's fundamentally yeah. what it comes down to. It has nothing to do with humanitarian rights, human rights, uh, uh, women's rights. Afghanistan is not exactly doing great on, on women's rights after they brought women's rights to Afghanistan, you know? Yeah. Oh, this is, this is the tweet you were talking about. Oh, that's hilarious. So you yeah. mean the money that the US stole from Iran that they were basically right. forced to give back to Iran has all gone to Hamas? To launch an attack against Israel. And what's, okay, what's, what's worse is people like Jack are well aware of the information okay. surrounding the history, but it doesn't matter to them. It's about, oh, they paid him $6 billion. Same <laughs> thing with Obama when that was happening. You know, and there's more to the story. You know, the partisanship misses it all. But it, what's oh, interesting God. is that, that somehow you're like, for, the first part aside, like the misinformation about why that money's being given to Iran, the idea that whether or not there was justified that Iran then acts in this way like i don't even get how that lines up in a logical way like let alone that there's no, no evidence to back it up it's just clumsy and I, also do they, <laughs> do they think that the six billion which probably hasn't even arrived in iranian banks right, anyway, right. <laughs> like, in, in in the in the time span that this happened it's gone to hamas hamas has prepared a major military operation and launched in, in that time span right Right, because it takes 30 seconds to develop a massive yeah. invasion plan, you know, that, that circumvents their intelligence apparatus. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, oh, it, it's God. not, it, it's, there's a lot of claims that gets put out by people that get put out by people like this that I think are, you know, completely self serving. But, you know, the point here, yeah. here's what Kim.com had to say about it, which is it kind of a middle That's point. Right. Understanding the Hamas attack on Israel, he says Iran is aiming for a confrontation with Israel in the United States. 
The success of, of Russia in Ukraine is encouraging Iran to undo decades of hostile U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East. A bankrupt U.S. government has just been invited to another war. The timing is opportunistic. The U.S. government is forced to print trillions of U.S. dollars in its struggles to raise new debt. Another war would lead to a significant increase in inflation and accelerated economic decline of the U.S. If Iran mines the Strait of Hormuz, the global energy crisis will become critical. The Biden administration has used the majority of U.S. oil reserves to stabilize domestic oil prices. Iran can increase the pain for the U.S. government significantly. Ukraine is turning into a major defeat for the U.S. and NATO. A new front in the Middle East would accelerate the U.S. decline. The U.S. government and its Western partners simply cannot afford it. Russia and China would most benefit most. Iran understands this and is playing in the hands of its partners. Now, logically, that makes sense, but I don't think that, like, well, so, no, not really, not really, because it's like saying someone's committing suicide and some guy over there is is like blowing on the sword to make it go faster. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. I it's mean, ridiculous. I mean, the U.S. is killing itself and it's it's taking the EU down with it. Right. Or it's deliberately destroying the EU and hoping that, it, you know, it, at least its oligarchy class is going to survive. Forget about the rest of the population in the mm-hmm. state. But, but this is just no, this is this is kind of it's not even logical. And again, I, it's, I it's a kind of weird. Yeah, but it's a kind of weird projection again. Mm hmm. You know, the thing is that <laughs> everyone tends to look at everything through a, a kind of, I, I mean, I don't know where he's based. I guess it's in the U.S. But they tend to look at everything through a Western prism. Right. So when they talk about negotiations with Russia or with China, they, they remove any cultural context to that whatsoever. And it only gets looked at through this Western understanding, this Western-centric mm perception of what's going on and you know again i've spent considerable time in iran actually a huge number of iranians would kind of just like you know the world to be at peace and for Mm -hmm. iran to be able to trade not only with its partners in the non-aligned axis but with the u.s people and with the eu people they're not looking for world supremacy as the U.S. is and has Openly. done since its right. establishment, right? right? And yeah, of course, maybe they're looking for some economic advantage and so on and so forth. That's normal. Every country is going to protect its own interests, right? Right. Um, but no, I think that's kind of that, that's a bit of a stretch, <laughs> personally. I, I no, I, I agree. I mean, I quite frankly think that a lot of their takes, you know, or like the that narwhal guy or whatever that's like this huge yeah. twitter base they're just yeah. they're basically just barely changing and repackaging <laughs> mainstream talking points it's ridiculous yeah. i even just commented under his tweet the day i said you're really great at uh, i forget i was trying to make a joke like you're really great at this but you know whatever i called it a propaganda yeah. ninja. they they change it you know they kind of change the spin very slightly but you yeah. still end up iran bad exactly US good you exactly. know, and Iran is, is trying to destroy the U.S. Well, you know, if the U.S. wants to get out of the region, why is it increasing its military footprint in Syria? Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, I think they're, you know, their their takes are they're trying to frame themselves. I'm talking about Narwhal when I say this, but trying to frame themselves as like the new yeah. independent media. And they're just like a fraction removed from the corporate <laughs> media, which is perfect for them. But more on, on Kin.com's point, sometimes his takes, I think, are interesting. But in this regard, I agree with yeah. you. I think that it's a stretch to try to apply this or stretch this over the kind of U.S.-centric view. But my point there, about There's Iran, no geopolitical understanding in that at all. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, there's no 
understanding of what's been going on in the Middle East historically for for centuries now. Which is the most, which is typically the part that gets left out within Western yeah. perspective. But but in this case, I mean more about the Iran aspect. That I'm simply saying that, like, including just basically kind of gleaning from Jack's point. To say, okay, is there possibility that Iran might have some interest? And all I'm saying is the way he outlines this, you could say, well, I guess Iran's perspective might. I, I but I look, I agree with what you're saying that Iran is. It, I don't think it benefits them in any. Well, let's put it this way: what he's framing is using the framing of Iran as the we want to hurt them just to hurt them because they're a U.S. kind of a mindset, and that's not mm. what Iran's government has ever been in my perspective, and I've demonstrated that not many, really. many times. No, that's what well, I don't think any government is other than Western governments and those are dominated by the UK and the US because they have that neocolonialist mindset that has now gone into overdrive because yeah. they're seeing their kind of window of opportunity shrinking rapidly. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, I think, yeah, if they can lay the blame at the door of somewhere else, then, then you know, I guess that helps them back home and the problem is that you know a lot of people are quite happy to dehumanize and demonize other countries because that's what americans do largely i mean i i'm not saying that with with a broad brush but i'm just saying you know that's what they're encouraged to do because the u.s is not to blame the u.s is this exceptionalist entity and it's other countries about which they know generally nothing because they're not educated on those countries and they're not educated on the history of those countries deliberately right. by the media, by the governments, by, by all of the entities that provide them with information, including schools. Um, then, of course, it's easy to kind of look over there and say, well, you're to blame. I think it was John Pilger that wrote about that. You know, we should all stop pointing the finger outside our own countries and start focusing on the problems back home. Mm -hmm. Because right. that's where all these problems start. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but I think it's very true. It's not up to us how China runs its country and how Chinese people choose right. to live. It's nothing to do with us. Our yeah. focus should be on our country and making it a better place for us and for, for, for the world, because the U.S. has tremendous power in the world. So that power should be wielded responsibly. And of course, mm -hmm. it isn't. Right. I completely agree. <clears throat> and just to come, come ending points here, I think it's important to point out that, you know, this, this was posted up from a, a partisan girl was doing a, a Twitter space and somebody mm. in the, in the, in the discussion was claiming that they lied about how Israelis celebrate when people get killed in mm. Gaza. And there's, I mean, this is the guardian article. It's the, the link is right there. I, I've mm. talked about this myself. Israelis gather mm. on the hillsides to watch and cheer and drink beer and, and eat popcorn as they watch. That's not what the title says, but that is the truth as military mm. drops bombs on Gaza. You know, and so it just shows you this mentality that they're above it all, right? And that this mm. is that what's happening today is not possible. And I think that's just yeah. an, it's there is a level of this that is something that is a positive turn. But I don't I don't support you know people being hurt or killed in any context. But I think that the political dynamic is a positive change. Of course, we have Jordan Peterson saying, "Give him hell, Netanyahu. Enough is enough." Because <laughs> he's clearly informed about what's going on, right? It's, oh it kills God, me. his whole religious turn. Well, has actually, got to be has Kennedy as as um. Robert Kennedy tweeted out. He must have done. Of course he, he did. Actually, let's check, Israel, let's check right now. Uh, I bet you he did something just like that. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Because he, you know, is uncompromising in his support for Israel. Right. How, how do you, what's his tag? Oh, there it is. Kennedy. Uh, God, I'm not sure. Right oh, there you go. No. Uh, <laughs> oh, here it is. Of course, he went hard. Look, it says, this ignorant... Oh, 
Ig, how do, what is that? Ig, ignominious. 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 I don't think I've ever heard that before. Ignominious, and barbaric <laughs> attack on Israel must be met with world oh, condemnation. Well. Okay, gosh darn it, man. I'll read it all out for the podcast. And unequivocal support for the Jewish state's right to self-defense. Man, I, I mean, I know he knows better than some of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, he's not stupid, and he understands the well, dynamic. He's got Dennis Kucinich on his, on his advisory board, right? for God's sake. Kidding me, man. And it says, we must provide Israel with whatever it needs to defend itself now. As president, I'll make sure that our policy is unambiguous right. so that the enemies of Israel will think long and hard before attempting aggression of any kind. I so applaud the score, basically. I mean, that's right. basically what that like paragraph it. reads to me, right? Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, that will give them anything they want to defend them. I mean, it's just that's, yeah, that's war, especially yeah. with the dynamic. And, and so before. that the enemies of Israel. So basically, he's saying we will support a world war against the enemies of Israel. Which are like Russia and it. China and the rest of them that are back yeah. in Palestine. I mean, that's a huge world war. Exactly. I see. He goes on to say, I applaud the strong statements and support of support from the Biden White House for Israel in her hour of need. However, the scale of these attacks means it is likely that Israel will need to wage sustained military campaign to protect the citizens. Great. So, yeah, we're going to see U.S. involvement on the ground. That's what that seems yeah. to suggest. Statements. Well, they're of, in southern Syria. They're ready for it, aren't they? Right, right. Which is probably why. Statements of support are fine, but we, we must follow through with unwavering, resolute, and practical action. America there must stand by our ally throughout this operation and beyond as it exercises its sovereign right to self-defense. God, that's disgusting. Okay, that's a complete call to arms. Yes. God. Uh, My God. And he talks well, about, and they say he's not the he's not the warmonger. That's what I think. That's the strongest statement I've seen. Yep. Right. And I'm, you know, there. I'll, I'll give I'll give a, a a point to the people out there that will scream probably in my chat right now that RFK is doing all of that to get elected and he doesn't mean any of it and you know what i hope you're right but i don't know how it's pretty clear that's not the case if you want my no, opinion i don't think so but you, here, you here's come out with a far more i mean bernie i think bernie sanders and a couple of other and ron DeSantis has come out with something shocking kind of pretty you know hardcore but but nothing like that right. <laughs> well just to end here here this is even on cnn by the way which i'm actually surprised Medical air, it, well, of course, they always put it as, oh, they didn't even, I'm actually surprised. They didn't say Gaza says. Medical aid nonprofit <laughs> says, and oh, that's what it is. So the nonprofit says a nurse yeah. and an ambulance driver were killed in the Israeli strikes on Gaza hospitals. Now, you're, there's a lot flying around about what's going on. And like you said, let's, we need to wait and see what's really being proven. But what's interesting is that we have, as they're claiming that they've killed, like the discussions of all the bombings in the civilian areas in Palestine or hospitals or ambulances being hit in these bombings. I just think it's, you know, how, how does somebody like RFK or these people just ignore that side of what's going on? You know? Oh, he does and, completely. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it didn't happen. What was it in one of his interviews? He said um, the only safe place to, to protest is Israel, whether you're Palestinian or you're trans, you know, you're transgender Israel's the only safe place. I was just like, okay. And and what was it? Um, Israelis don't deliberately kill Palestinians. That was a statement. That and was see, an but, actual statement. And and he knows that's not true. Like I yeah. I can like yeah. said, I mean you know you can't. True. It's impossible. I mean, how many bombings of Gaza have there been? Two thousand eight, nine, two thousand and twelve, two thousand and fourteen, and then various kind of mini mowing of the lawns in between yeah. right and that's without what they do in the occupied territories and what they did in 1948 um yeah i mean you know i mean all i can say is and i know again eva 
who was there in 2008 and 9 and was fired on multiple times. If you're in an ambulance or a, or a taxi marked press, it makes absolutely no difference. They will target you. I remember a quick story when I was there in 2012 and they were bombing the last night after the ceasefire and they broke the ceasefire and for 24 hours they bombed Gaza. It, it was unbelievable. It was like hell. So from the sea, from the tanks, from the helicopters, from the drones, uh, from the air force. And there was a CBC journalist who was staying at the hotel and he, he was a war correspondent. I can't remember his name. He came back. He was visibly shaking. I said to him, like, what happened? He said, I, he, he actually said to me, these guys are psychopaths. They chased him in a jet. They were in a jet. He was driving in a press car. And the guy had to drive like Schumacher because the jet was following them and, and had them, you know, in, in its target through the streets of Gaza. He thought he was dead. He thought he was gone. Right. Man. So, you know, that's just one story, but it's indiscriminate bombing. They don't care right. if it's an ambulance. They don't care if it's Red Cross. They don't care if it's Red Crescent. If, if you're a humanitarian worker, you're a journalist, whatever. Yeah. You know, well, you're there. Right. And, and, and also they know that there's going to be no prosecution. They're not going to be held to account for it. That's the important part, right? They, they're very aware of the, the protection that is a lot of yeah. the people in these positions. So I'll end here with a couple of points, just again, to show you that with CNN, you know, highlight, you know, video show Hamas seizing Israelis. Like just because it's unprecedented does not mean like it's, we've seen the reverse for 75 years, you know? So it's an interesting yeah. way that it's us airlines cancel the flights how did and then of course let's listen to CNN give us the history of Israel and Palestine, right? Like highly doubt that's going to be the exact picture. But to end here in general, I think it's important. Just what you were saying, we already have even on Haaretz, IDF spokesman announces continue to shoot Palestinian children. Here it is where we have, and I covered this on on the T Lab in 2018. Mm-hmm. You have this the Israel uh, Br- Brigadier General uh, Zavika Fogel openly confirming that the snipers were ordered to shoot children. And of course, mm-hmm. I'll even end with the video that we've all seen that my point is they all know this. They all know of all this and it's nothing that anybody can dispute, which is the the snipers shooting a child and cheering about it, you know? And so it's just sickening to me that people can pretend that this is the, uh, like, this is what I say from before is that you can't stand here and defend all of this and lie about stuff like that and act like you're on the just side, the righteous side of what's going on. Unless you, in your mind, have rationalized that these people aren't human and are are it's justifiable to kill them, which is some of the things, like I said, Abby Martin would ask people in Israel, and they would say yes, they don't deserve to exist. Or endless examples. I was I was going to talk about this in another show, where it's now becoming mainstream discussion where uh, young Jewish kids in the streets of Israel, it's like a common practice to spit at Christians when they walk by. And that's a real thing. I went through it. I'm like, I want to make sure that's not just hype. And sure enough, it's like a very common. And it's like, all of this is public information. Or as David Martin said, I love it. Egregiously public. It's very clear, you know? And so it just (laughs) makes me sad that we can have the, that we even have to get into this while people continue to suffer. So, you know, any, any final thoughts for us, you know, because I know you're, you're always on top well, of this. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I guess the first thing that sprung to my mind when they talk about Hamas arresting, um, you know, whether it's military or civilian, well, I guess in that case, military. But let's just think about the Ukrainians arresting Russian prisoners of war and torturing them on video. Right. And, you know, blowing holes in their femoral artery and leaving them to, to bleed out. You know, come on, guys. You know, we, we do not support the good guys. 
100% of the time, we do not support the good guys in the West. And I think that is something that, you know, we really need to remember. Okay, then we have to go through it and look at the evidence because, of course, you know, in any uh, violent war situation, things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to, to, to kind of dissect it and go through it rationally. Right. But I would say in Syria, 99.9% of the stories that are being put out and have been put out in the last 12 years have been proven to be false. So, you know, same with Ukraine, same with Afghanistan, any one of these situations, I want to say the same 99%, but probably, but that most of the stories we hear are are shown to be propaganda and lies. I mean, Ukraine's Mm -hmm. very obvious. People need to go back in time and look at these older stories that they may, like, I think a lot of people have come kind of become hip to it today because of how clumsy Ukraine Mm -hmm. was and haven't yet wrapped their mind around that it happened in Iraq. And it happened in, mm. you know, as far back as you want to look and going in any war we want to talk about that comes from the West, that they're lying to you to just the whole wag the dog and manufacturing consent. It happens every single time. Mm. You know, I think it's important. So I think, you know, the most important thing is even if you're still undecided, mm-hmm. then don't rush to judgment. Yes. Because, you know, um, it takes time to to kind of figure out exactly what is going on. And, you know, we've we've been kind of, um, fooled on quite a number of occasions because we we were pushed into a position of rushing to judgment. And I, I think that's what is important to kind of decelerate and, and actually take the time to rationally dissect things. Yeah, exactly. I, well said. And I think that's important. And I'll, I'll end with the, you know, I, I agree completely with the point about the West in the good guy scenario. And I think that really it comes down to is they, they will always support the group that's most advantageous to their agenda which almost mm. always tends to be the group that is morally <laughs> ambiguous to say the least, because it's easy to control people like that with money, yeah, with, absolutely. You know, any number of things. And so I think that's what we've continued to see. Now it doesn't have mm-hmm. to, as an American or as somebody from the UK or somebody from any of the countries we're discussing, it does not have to mean that that is what you are. It's the governments mm-hmm. that have taken advantage of us. And that's why they need to pretend they're good because that's what you want. We want mm-hmm. good and they know that. Right. And so they they lie to us about what they're trying to accomplish. So thank you for being here as, as always and giving us an insight of what's going on on the ground. Um, any, anyone, any shout outs you want to do about upcoming work or social media links before I end with the, uh, the, uh, the videos? Here? No, no. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously going to be working on uh, both Syria and Palestine for the next few weeks, I guess, mm-hmm. depending on how it escalates or doesn't or, or, you know, if it reaches some kind of, status quo i really don't know right this second i'm not quite sure which direction it's going to take and you know there's a huge amount of pieces being moved around the chessboard in the region so i'll be focusing on that for some time i think all right well you know let me know if you piece something together i'd love to have you back on and talk about it so i'll i'll uh i'll end with two videos actually now this first one i'll end with is the sniper video that i think is really important people understand and this is not a manipulation this has been you know, this is, these are Israeli snipers behind their bunker, behind the fence, shooting a child standing in the middle of a field and cheering about it. And then I'll end with the, after that, with the clip that I think is important from, uh, from uh, Richard Boyd Barrett, I think the Irish member of parliament that reads off the direct quotes from the Israeli members of parliament that are many of which are still in power just to understand their mindset. So thank you, Vanessa. It's always a pleasure. And as always, thank everybody you. out there question, everything come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Oh, it's the Yes! Then you should zone
This is the Defence Minister, Moshe Yalon, uh, talking just a couple of weeks ago. Israel is going to hurt Lebanese civilians to include kids of the family. We went through a very long discussion. We did it then. We did it in the Gaza Strip. We are going to do it in any round of hostilities in the future. That's the Defence Minister. Uh, this is the uh, uh, Military Chief of Staff, Benny Gantz. The next round of violence will be worse and see this suffering increase. He headed up the military assaults uh, on Gaza, the last uh, two. This is the Minister for Education in the Netanyahu government. There will never be a peace plan with the Palestinians. I will do everything in my power to make sure they never get a state. He also said, if you catch terrorists, you simply have to kill them. I've killed a lot of Arabs in my life, and there's no problem with that. Uh, this is the Minister for Justice. Palestinians are all enemy combatants. This also includes the, mother, the mothers of the martyrs. They should follow their sons. Nothing would be more just. They should go, as should the physical homes in which they, are, which they raised the snakes. Otherwise, more little snakes will be raised there. That's the Israeli Minister for Justice in the last few months. The Israeli Minister for, uh, Deputy Minister for Defence. Palestinians are beasts. They are not human. Uh, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, C.P. Hotley, this is the last one. My position is that between the sea and the Jordan River, there needs to be one state only, the state of Israel. There is no place for any agreement of any kind that discusses the concession of Israeli sovereignty over lands conquered in 1967. Now, these are the official statements of several ministers of the current government of Israel. In one case, actually advocating genocide of all Palestinians, including children, and calling them snakes. Now, can I ask you, Taoiseach, uh, do you not think that if we're defining terrorism, that is the language and thinking of terrorists? That it is absolutely unacceptable in civilised politics, in civilised international relations, for the heads of government of a state that we carry on normal relations with and who you met in Paris to advocate those sort of views when we know they have also led on to the deaths of thousands of Palestinians, uh, innocent men, women and children. What have you to say, Taoiseach, about those sort of views being expressed by the Israeli government?